So it's what I've been waiting for for so long, to go see fish at Madison Square Garden again, of course, over the summer. Went to that uh, seven nights in a row. What an amazing experience. So, uh, yeah, I was, uh, you know, at least going to go tonight uh, to, to see fish at Madison Square Garden with my neighbor Brad. I got him a ticket as his Christmas present. Um, yeah, we we got it all set up. I uh, figured out what to wear. I have my magic mushroom shirt from TSPTR and kind of the perfect uh, gray zip-up hoodie that would have, uh, you know, because it's not that cold out. So, you know, basically just have to, like, uh, park. We're going to park at Secaucus Junction train station take the, uh, and take the train in. So you're really only outside for a little while. Otherwise, you're all inside because the train goes right into Penn Station, which is in the same structure as Madison Square Garden. And uh, I, also, I also got a ticket for tomorrow. I was actually, I got a ticket for Section 221, which is a section I was in all seven nights uh, over the summer. And I fe- felt I should return to 221 at some point. Though you can't really see the light show, I felt I should return. And then I, as far as, uh, uh, you know, sa- uh, Saturday and Sunday, I hadn't bought tickets yet, but I'm thinking I, I, I was going to buy tickets. But yesterday, you know, we had this, as you heard on last episode, this is the holiday season. We had a whirlwind of gatherings uh, on, uh, we had New Year's Eve, uh, sorry, Christmas Eve at our house here. A big gathering uh, for Christmas Eve on uh, on Sunday. And then uh, on Christmas, we went over to my in-laws' house up in, uh, over in Basking Ridge, New Jersey. And then uh, uh, on Tuesday, uh, the day after Christmas, was my wife Denise's birthday. So we had a big gathering here. And uh, it was really nice. It was really great. Stayed up late. In fact, on uh, what was it on uh, on Christmas Eve and on uh, Denise's birthday, we stayed up late with our neighbors playing board games till like one a.m. And there's my neighbors now. There, I, I texted them about what happened. Anyway, um, <coughs> yeah. And then the next day after this whirlwind of activity, <coughs> and by the way, the dishes from that second event, I'm still working through them. It's uh, it, it, it's three loads, and I'm still not done. And all of the various plates and things and things that people brought over. And I don't know where they go. I have to have my wife help me putting away all of the, all of the dishes that are clean. I don't know where this stuff goes. It's not normal dishes. But anyway, as, as you may have heard uh, on last episode, which was on Wednesday, today. Sorry, was that Wednesday? Was that yesterday? Wait a minute. <laughs> yes, it was yesterday. Uh, you may have heard that, uh, yeah, I, uh, we had the... The next day, we had to wake up early uh, for, Denise, for Denise to go to some doctor's appointments. And I was recording there in the parking lot of the uh, physical therapy and everything. You may have heard me coughing a little bit there. I didn't feel that bad. It, it, it maybe felt like a kind of a mild cold. But uh, I got home, and uh, around 4 o'clock, I'm like, you know, I just feel so tired. I need to take a nap. So I took a nap. And uh, beyond getting up a few times to go to the bathroom, I slept through till around midnight. And then uh, I got up, you know, I was just sitting in the, in the computer for an hour or two, and then I went back to sleep. So ultimately, I slept around uh, 16 hours of that, like, one-hour break, which, uh, you know, could be indicative of something. But anyway, I wasn't going to – I actually don't feel that bad right now. I feel like I could go. It's uh, what time is it here? It is four twelve. the The show doesn't start till eight o'clock tonight. But my wife ordered a COVID test. She's like, "It's the right thing to do. You really should test and see if you have." And I'm like, "Listen, if I test and I'm positive, I'm not going to be able to go." You know? She's like, "Well, you can wear a mask." 
I don't know. Like if I have COVID, and I, even if I'm wearing a mask, I could spread it to people. I'd feel bad about it, you know, even with a mask on. So I don't know. I'm like, if I take this test and it's negative, I'm fine. I'm great. I can tell. Listen, I took a test. I don't have COVID. I may have the sniffles and maybe coughing a little bit. There's no COVID involved. It's fine. I can go to the show. Don't worry about it. Because Brad and I were going to drive together to the park, you know, the, the 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 parking lot there, and then take the train in. But uh, I took the test, and uh, yeah, it was positive for COVID. And what's really weird is that uh, every like a lot of other people got sick that were at these parties, and they all tested for COVID, and they all were tested negative. I'm like, so what the hell? How do how's it? I got COVID, but these other people didn't get COVID. What the hell? So uh, subsequently, they did test, and they do have COVID. Now, as I said, I mean, yes, I did sleep for 16 hours, which is a bit atypical for the typical cold. But at the moment, I don't, I I mean, no, I don't have any medicine in my system at the moment, and I feel pretty good. I feel like I'm over the worst of it. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to miss fish. Going to have to miss fish because I got COVID. I'm sitting on the porch now having a little cigarillo. But, yeah, I'm wearing the same thing I would have worn had I gone. But, of course, I'm going to watch it live. I bought the live stream, so I'll watch it from home. And possibly I could go to the New Year's Eve one. That's not the today's Thursday, so that would be Sunday. And hopefully that will not be – once at that point you're no longer uh, going to spread it, you know. So, And and that's the big one is that I've never been to a New Year's Eve, so I would like to do that. So maybe I'll do that. But anyway, so I had the ticket. <coughs> I'd already sent the one to my neighbor, Brad. With the ticket I had, I, I I went on Reddit. I don't know. Like, it says you can't sell the tickets on Ticketmaster, so I'd have to go to one of those third-party sites. And I don't, I never use those sites, so I don't, you know, to sell tickets. So I I looked at Reddit, and someone said they're looking for a miracle for tonight. And that's the uh, the way to say you want a free ticket in the Grateful Dead fish world. You want a miracle, you know, somebody give you a free ticket. So I'm like, listen. I, I don't know how to with the selling thing. People are selling tickets on there as well, but I'm kind of behind the th- I'm kind of behind the times. I don't even have Venmo or anything. My wife has the Venmo, but so I, so I tell the guy, listen, yeah, you're still looking for a ticket. It was two hours old. I tell I I have COVID. I can't go. You want the ticket? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'd love the ticket. And so uh, so I go on on Ticketmaster, and it's like uh, I go to transfer the ticket. You know, to do a good deed. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, uh, sorry, your account has a problem. Please click here to prove you're not a bot. So I click here. It says you have to hold down. The, I never saw this one before. You have to hold it down. And it takes like 10 seconds. You got and, and then it, it's like, uh-oh, that didn't work. You're not, you're, you're not a human. What? So I'm like, what the hell? My computer's messed up. So I go on my phone with the Ticketmaster app. That also is crashing out, not working. I'm like... Oh, God, I told this guy I'm going to give him a free ticket, and now I can't do it. Oh, my God. So then I realized, oh, my God, I already put it in my Google wallet. That means I can't transfer it and ay ay ay, all this stuff. And So I call up Ticketmaster. You know, I go, on, I go into chat, and it's like, listen, I need help. They're like, call this phone number and type in this PIN. And um, <coughs> I got a customer service agent somewhere in the world, and I – Really could barely understand what she was saying, um, but then at the same time, I actually got in and started doing the transfer. So I actually transferred the ticket, and she's like, I'm "Like, but it's still in my wallet." She's like, "Oh, you can do- delete it from your wallet." But I'm thinking to myself, "How does 
the app know if I deleted it from my wallet? I guess they generate a new code, that, right? I guess they deactivate the code I had in my wallet, which would still be there in theory, but it would um, it would no longer be active. That is, in the old days, you had uh, tickets with barcodes. You scanned the barcode to get in, and then they had PDFs as tickets, and you could there's a barcode on them, but it was too ripe for abuse, right? Someone could sell the same ticket to multiple people. The first person that scans it gets in. The others do not get in. Now they have a system using the cryptography where there's a barcode that changes every 10 seconds using cryptograms or, <laughs> uh, you, know, you know, cryptography, right? So um, anyway, I was able to get it to work, and the person's like, well, it wasn't actually for me. It was for my friend, but they're very appreciative. I'm like, listen, whatever. And I, on Reddit, you can look at someone's history. I mean, the person's name on Reddit was the name of a fish song. And they didn't have too many fish-related posts, but they had some. And I'm like, I hope this person's legitimate and not just a, trying to resell it. Who knows? I, I feel like I uh, was able to uh, get rid of it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, maybe I did a good deed or maybe the person screwed me. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how easy it is to sell the ticket, like, a few hours before the show anyway. But. Anyway, I'm pretty sad that I uh, <coughs> I can't go. I'm all ready to go. I feel I feel fine. <coughs> well, ninety percent. Let me have another cigarillo. I know it's not good to smoke cigarillos when you're sick, but I don't know. It doesn't really feel like uh, that bad. All right, last time I had COVID, which was a hell of a long time ago, back a uh, year and a half ago. It was a bit stronger and. Uh, yeah, I, I remember sleeping a long time with that one as well. The only time I really had chills was just briefly uh, Tuesday night. I had some chills towards the end of the evening. Was that a fever? I don't know. But anyway, um, I texted my brother, and he said he started getting sick. So I guess everyone at these parties is going to get COVID. But, you know, <coughs> it feels hardly more severe than a, having a cold which is another kind of coronavirus but people are still super sensitive about covid and stuff so listen the die is cast i'm not going and my wife was saying she might go with me to new year's eve fish she's never been to a fish show but then she tested positive so that probably that's probably not going to happen <laughs> what a mess this, this damn covid 19 damn it yeah, uh, yeah, and then I had it. I took another nap today. I guess I have been napping a lot, indicative of being sick. I did, and I do remember a fragment from a dream I had this afternoon or this morning, whatever. It was uh, we had to go up high up in these trees, <coughs> and something about there were bunches of tree stalks that had been cut off at the top and really way up in the tree, and it was super dangerous. We were way up. It was like on the edge of a cliff, and there was this huge chasm below us. But the people didn't seem to worry about it, but I just happened to have a parachute. I was like, oh, wow, it's very lucky that I, I'm in this such, such a hazardous condition where if I were to fall, it'd be certain death, but I just happened to have a parachute not related to being here, but I just happened to be wearing a parachute. So, And then a little bit later... We went down, then we had to go back up again, and it was even more dangerous. And I told the people I was with, well, listen, you know, I have a parachute. I don't know if you guys have a parachute, but I just happen to be wearing a parachute. So if in the chance that we fall, 
I don't know. Like, I may be able to save one of you if I grab my, you know, can two people do a parachute but together? I don't even know what kind of parachute this is, but I saw the little white cord that you pull <coughs> to. I, I've never done parachuting in, my, in this life, so. But I don't know. What does that mean? What is the, uh, that there's like sort of a hazardous situation, but I have some sort of a, I have some sort of a, an ace up the sleeve, you know, that will, that will save me if not everyone else. I don't know. The one thing that comes to mind, which I know I always talk about this topic, but alternate timelines and if something really bad happens in some way that I don't know at this level, I could shift timelines to where that thing didn't happen, right? Which is something I think about a lot, but there's no proof for it at all, you know. Though it does... It is something that I, I sort of sense or in my gut feel that I have been jumping timelines. Uh, of course, there's many. It could just be all in my imagination, some sort of fanciful thing. Uh, or it could be true. We don't know. There's so many things we don't know at this level. I also had some, I guess, some visions. Like, like sometimes when I'm laying in bed, I just sort of have this inner dialogue with, with whatever is out there and an idea came up in terms of because I was watching this show about um, I remember Jonathan Miller he had a, a show called The Body in Question and I had to look this up because I all I remember about Jonathan Miller is that uh, I was watching I was watching this show called The Body, the Body in Question which was around 1979 1980-ish on, it would have been on public television here. It was on a BBC production from Britain. And it was all about the human body. And back then, of course, I loved any nerdy science-type show I could watch on TV. Uh, of course, the primarily among them, of course, Cosmos with Carl Sagan being absolutely the greatest example of that kind of show. But this Jonathan Miller, the body in question, had a similar vibe. And uh, he's a very charismatic host. And I think my mother saw that I was watching it. And she's like, oh, Jonathan Miller. Do you know he was in uh, Beyond the Fringe with Dudley Moore? They, they, were, they were this comedy team. There were four guys, uh, Peter Cook and there was another guy. Beyond the Fringe. And I, I always remembered that, though I never saw it. So Jonathan Miller uh, was a, a doctor. He was an actual a neurologist. He, he went to medical school in Britain. But then he became <coughs> a comedian, an actor, and a director, and things like that. And so I started looking this stuff up the other night. And I found Beyond the Fringe. Uh, it was a, a smash hit on the West End of London, which is like their version of Broadway, I guess. And uh, there, there's a, there was a TV broadcast of it. So I started watching that. Um, I had sort of thought, excuse me, I had sort of thought, I guess I am sick. I had sort of thought, don't worry, you can't get COVID over, over audio. I, I, I hope not. <coughs> no, the data cleans the germs. All you're hearing is, is, is sanitized ones and zeros turned back into audio on your end. But I had kind of thought that Beyond the Fringe was the name of a comedy group, but it was the name of a specific comedy review is what they call it. A series of sketches. Um, 
And I was always confused with that. And then also Peter Sellers, who I've been reading a lot about recently as well, was in another – he was like on The Goon Show with like Spike Milligan and other people. That's a whole separate thing. I was all confused by all these uh, 50s and 60s, uh, you know, uh, alternative comedy things that were going on. Peter Sellers, I did not really know much about this guy. I mean, he uh, he had problems, that guy, you know. Because, uh, you know, I just, as I talked about last episode, I saw the movie The Party by Blake Edwards starring Peter Sellers. So funny. But I read that, like, and then he made a, many uh, Pink Panther movies with Blake Edwards, Peter Sellers playing Inspector Clouseau, which I'm assuming uh, is, I don't know, but I'm assuming is sort of a play on Jacques Cousteau, a very famous French uh, ma- marine scientist. If that's is that what he was? Um, uh, Cousteau and Clouseau, like he's a detective, so he gets clues. Clouseau. He's so about clues. He's Clouseau. But it said that uh, you know he was very hard to work with, and Blake Edwards kind of had a real hard time with him. But he was so good at what he did at, at performing. He tolerated him, but uh, I didn't know that the guy had major mental problems. Uh, apparently, from what I've been reading, that he uh, he felt like he had no personality of his own; that he only existed as the characters that he played, and he was very cruel to his children, and really terrible stuff. I didn't know all this about Peter Sellers. He had, he had major issues. Hey. Yeah, I paused there for a second. Yeah, I paused there again, talking to my neighbors. Everyone may have COVID now because we were all hanging out. All right, I keep pausing. (laughs) Oh, look at this. This is pretty clever. Something I just saw on my uh, Facebook feed here. More Bibor handmade wooden fencing puppets. M-O-R-B-B-I-B-A-R. Never saw this before, so it's these little puppets, and <clears throat> you control it with sticks, and you're fencing, you're like sword fighting. And there's these little balloons that are the, the heads of the characters, and you try to pop the balloon head to win the game. I guess you have to blow up another balloon then for the next round. That's your penalty for uh, for losing. Seems like that would get. That, that just seems like a bit too much work to play fencing puppets. It's kind of cool, though. But yeah, another show like that that was a PBS show was a Connections. What was that show? Connections with is another guy. I remember talking to Doc Slees about it on the other side. Um, the guy, the presenter, was very famous in Britain. Um, James Burke was the guy. And that was a show 78 to 79. 79 in the U.S., so all around the same time, right? Yeah. Well, circa 1980, give or take a year. And it was like uh, he was talking about how technologies, like do you ever wonder where the refrigerator came from? Well, 800 years ago, this guy invented a, a, a type of catapult that led to the refrigerator, I don't know if that was one of them. That's a sort of an example of, you know, and then he goes through all the stages. Why did it happen? That may have been one of them. No, I don't think it was, but yeah, 
<coughs> and those shows were very they all had these sort of enthusiastic charismatic hosts that really was pa- cared passionately about the subject matter and um I just love that stuff as a kid. I don't know if there's anything equivalent to that today. I guess just YouTube videos on on different topics, but something about catching a show like that on on broadcast television or cable or in those early days. We didn't have cable. <coughs> Back then it would have been like Channel 13 or possibly there were a couple of Channel 12 out of Philadelphia we could kind of get and then there was a Long Island Channel 23 on UHF that we could sort of get as well to watch these kind of shows and Doctor Who of course yes. yeah. I just had to pause again to change the batteries and the batteries I had in there were uh, these double A's I got uh, AC Delco I got them on Amazon because I couldn't get the Amazon brand overnight but AC Delco which I think used to be like a car battery brand but I guess they slapped the name on some generic Chinese batteries and people kind of recognize it from the United States in the past and it's like uh I thought it'd be cool. I mean, I, I get I, it does bother me using the same batteries all the time because the, the graphics just annoy me. So at least this is new. AC Delco. I got to look up what what was AC Delco. Hmm. Let me look this up. I have to pause again. Sorry, because I remember going to the Sears. There's that Sears in Brooklyn near the uh, the theater, King's Theater in Brooklyn, where we've seen some shows. It was a one of the old standalone Sears, and um, I remember just wandering around in there because we had time before the show. And they had that Sears had diehard batteries, and they had extended the brand to shoes. They had diehard work boots. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, I had to pause again. <laughs> My brother's texting me. He's just he's going to test and see if he has COVID. He probably does. Ugh, everyone got COVID from all these parties. I feel so bad. Anyway, <coughs> yeah, sort of reusing these brands on uh, generic goods. <coughs> kind of uh, kind of not being truthful to the concept of a brand, right? Like a brand name was supposed to identify this is a company and the products that they make, oh, they make quality batteries. They're AC Delco, right? Let me see. Is there a Wikipedia page on this? <coughs> and uh, so just slapping the name on whatever is really kind of perverting the meaning of what a brand was supposed to be, right, in the past. <coughs> AC Delco is an American automotive parts brand owned by General Motors. Okay. History, yeah. Oh, they used to be AC hyphen Delco, but they took the hyphen out. Okay. In 1974, in an effort to streamline its operations and marketing, General Motors merged AC spark plugs after sales operation with United Delco to create (coughs) the new AC Delco. AC Delco then marketed various AC and Delco branded products. Okay, I got it. I gotcha. I mean, I know I'd heard the name and associated it with car batteries, but beyond that, I didn't really know anything about it. <coughs> so I guess their little trick worked. This weird trick for selling batteries. All right, I'm going in. It's not that cold, but it's a little cold out. Ugh. See? Everything changes. Gotta change everything changes the pl- 
plans change. But my neighbor Brad said he's, he may still go. I hope he does go. The miracle person will uh, be next to him. Maybe he can find out who the miracle person was. All right. I'm inside. Having some Alka-Seltzer Plus cold medicine. So yeah, um, Jonathan Miller. Real interesting guy. Um, I saw that he also made a show uh, called in like 2004-ish called uh, Atheism, A Rough History of Disbelief, another TV show. And I watched a little bit of the start of it. Um, you know, one thing I'm very interested in is, uh, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, dialectics. This is not Dianetics. It's not Scientology. Dialectics is kind of a point-counterpoint, X versus Y. Um, again, I don't know if it's the exact right word for what I'm trying to say, but I always look for it when I, when I see arguments about these type of topics. And, you know, I've had a very weird relationship with <coughs> the concept of atheism my whole life because, uh, and especially on the show here, I've upset people talking about atheism over the years. I've upset atheists um, uh, talking about it. I think that I lost, there was one guy named Duncan in Scotland who flew into a rage and said he'll never listen to me again because of something something I said on the show about atheism. Who was that guy? Are you still out there, Duncan? He's not listening. Because I said that one thing uh, like 12 years ago, about 15 years ago. I don't know when it was, about atheism. But, I mean, watching this show, it's <coughs> it's fairly <coughs> it's fairly... It does examine the topic in depth, especially talking about the nature of belief in a way that I think is really important for the topic. So I think that sort of what he's saying is that, you know, we don't know. I guess one of the things is in this world we're living in, we really <coughs> don't know anything. Absolutely. Like, for example, when you're walking down the street, you don't know that the ground will be gone the next step you take and you'll fall into the, in an abyss. That could happen. None of us know that it won't happen. But as I'm walking down the street... I feel like it's probably the next step I take, probably 99.99 and a lot of nines percent. The ground will still be there and I won't fall into an abyss. We don't know, but we feel confident enough in our estimate that we can act on it, right? So this is, a lot of it has to do with this, uh, I guess there's, talking about more dialects, there's two ways of viewing the world. One is in absolutes and the other one is in shades of gray, right? Like, I'll admit, I don't know anything for sure. Literally nothing. You don't know anything for sure other than I'm consciously observing this, right? That's that's all I know. I know that I'm observing this. I don't know what this is. I am a consciousness. I am observing this. That is something I know for sure. As far as what's going to happen next, I don't know. But I'm assuming with a high degree of likelihood that um, the world will still be here one second from now, and I'll continue doing similar things, like doing this show. And I was watching another thing. I think I mentioned on the show, uh, what's his name? Stephen Miller, is that his name? He's a guy that uh, <coughs> talks a lot about the deficiencies of neo-Darwinism to explain life on Earth from a scientific perspective. He's a scientist himself. And the other guy was at a counterpoint, but they both agreed in... I'm not really familiar with it. They call it Keynesian or Bainesian philosophy that anything in the world you can't know for sure. 
So you can assign a, a value between 1 and 99% or 0.000 whatever 1 and 99.999, <coughs> etc. But that uh, he even admitted, on, he's more on the atheist side, that no one can really know. I think that's f- perhaps somewhat rare in some of these popular discussions of these topics because I think that knowing for sure is something that people want. And that's where belief comes in, right? Belief. If you ever had a zero or you ever had a hundred, you've, you're in belief. And whereas it may provide comfort and it may be providing you um, other tools for social tools and life tools to believe in something zero percent or a hundred percent, it would seem that uh, ultimately speaking, you're assigning a value that you don't know if that's the case. <coughs> and I guess for a lot of people, 100% belief in quote-unquote God <coughs> is uh, something that provides them comfort, provides helps them to be part of a group, and helps them live their life, which all of which are very important things. I personally struggle with these big questions every day of my life, every hour I think about this stuff. Well, maybe not when I'm playing video games, but a lot of other times, I pretty much every day I think about these topics, and it bothers me. I think about it all the time. And uh, for those that are really focused on this, interested in this, it can never be zero or 100. It can never be sure. You can never be sure about things. But I will admit, for most people, it's kind of unnecessary to worry about that stuff. People are living their lives. It's sort of esoteric in a way. But what I think the dialectic is, is that in this, and I didn't watch the whole thing. I watched like the first 20 minutes, but they're using the word God um, as if everyone knows what that means, right? And I think that the word God means many different things to many different people. And I understand that uh, a lot of people are brought up in a religion and they don't like what the religion is saying. <coughs> the dominant religions in this planet, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, which are all kind of branches of the same Abrahamic faith, uh, contain uh, lots of contradictions and lots of objectionable content from a modern perspective. And I think that, uh, and, and, and just to say, I have never been a part of any religion. My parents were not religious in the least, we're not even particularly atheistic. It was just something we weren't involved in. Uh, so I've never gone to church. I've never been in a, any religion. And yet I'm intensely interested in, in, in the topic. So I think that to someone who is Christian, let's say, I would be considered an atheist because I'm, I, don't, I don't believe in the entirety of the Christian faith as being accurate. But I wouldn't want to... Uh, Treat it that way. That's where the dialectic comes in. Are you an atheist or do you believe in God? That's the dialectic. Dialectics are where they give you two choices out of, in, in, in a field, in a topic where there are more than two possibilities. They reduce it down to two possibilities and then ask you which one you adhere to, right? Dialectics, <coughs> or whatever you want to call it. And... In many cases, I, I, I do feel like this is a method used to control the minds of the populace by presenting dialectics. Uh, for example, in politics, very, are you Democrat or Republican? 
right? And I am neither. I, though I think I am a registered Republican because I voted for Ron Paul that one time in the primary way back when. But I don't consider myself. I consider myself to be an independent. Um, so it's just like when it be, forms a kind of illusion, it becomes kind of opaque when you're presented with these two choices, and then you're asked which side do you to you will you join. And it's exciting. It's interesting. It's on a, from a human level, it, it 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 relieves boredom. This conflict that you see, there's a conflict between these two sides, and you want to be a part of it. You want to uh, you want to uh, enjoy the rough and tumble of the um, debate and the fight. Meanwhile, there, in many cases, it's to keep people away from other options, right? So, <clears throat> in the case of discussions of atheism and discussions of God, you know, I sort of feel like if you presented me with one particular branch of the Christian faith, for example, you would have to examine it because it's, it's saying a lot of different things. It's saying there's this physical world we all live in, that we all seem to experience, but then there's this other world, other beings, <coughs> including God, and various sub-gods, angels, Jesus, and God, and Jehovah, and the Holy Spirit, and whatever, right? That there's so many different aspects. So it's saying a lot of different things. So if you want to take the entirety of it, where you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or else you're, you're screwed, basically, in your afterlife. I would say that, where, as I've said, I cannot at all determine uh, whether that's invalid though i feel that the chance that that whole message is true is is i would think it's so low in my estimation that i'm not going to act on it i'm not going to become a christian because i understand what they're saying and i understand the potential downside of not being coming a part of it but uh i would assign the chance of the whole message being true very low, 0.01% or something like that. And as uh, <coughs> I think Richard Dawkins, a very famous atheist, said at one point, you know, no matter who you are, no matter what religion you're part of or not, if you're a devout Catholic, well, you're an atheist in 999 other religions because you're not believing their stuff. Um, but if you look at the tapestry of ideas that are part of this, for example, let's say evangelical Christian, that there is a, an invisible world, that there are other beings out there that have some influence on us, that we perhaps can communicate with at some level. There are higher forces, and there's more going on, which is one of the top-level things that evangelical Christians are saying, which is fairly common with pretty much all religions, this idea that there's something else out there, I would assign myself a, a fairly high value to in the 90 high 90s you know in terms of yes i think there is something else out there um and it's not just from a reasoning perspective it's from my own perceptions i mean i do perceive that type of stuff but at this level those perceptions can't be independently verified therefore it could all be in my imagination though i do seem to be perceiving things that go beyond just being in the imagination but I can't be sure of it. And I think that that's one of the things also kind of, I haven't seen 
it referred to yet in that documentary that people believe because they are sensing things they have supernatural senses psychic senses feeling the presence of quote-unquote god right the people are not just listening to what someone's saying and believing it that they're actually their own perceptions are in fact um verifying that there's something else going on now of course there could be deception involved for example as i've said many times and as when i was talking to the sorcerers last year in new mexico i brought up this topic like yes assuming that you do have psychic abilities magical abilities and you you are receiving information uh through these means like uh, not just uh <clears throat> you're just like when you see something with your own eyes well you're perceiving something with your sixth sense right it's just that how can you be sure i'm not so let's just assume that those senses are valid and you are actually perceiving something how can you be sure that those what you're sensing is valid or it's a deliberate a deceit right um <coughs> as i've talked about if once you accept the existence of psychic powers in people someone with greater psychic powers could uh give someone with lesser psychic powers any kind of messages or perceptions that could be arbitrary the person could be messing with them or deliberately lying to them in a psychic sense in which case the psychic communications are valid but the content of those communications are deceptive and not valid and i i i don't think the sorcerers were they don't believe that they addressed that question it's not a common question the main dialectic here is that are psych are psychic abilities real or are they not real <clears throat> and that seems to be the main starting point and then if you get to the point yes yeah, psychic stuff is real but it doesn't mean the information you're gaining from the psychic stuff is valid <clears throat> and in fact inherent in any of the psychic stuff as i've experienced is it's much there's normally with the five senses that we have we're able to verify and double check there could be people hanging out together and they see someone walking down the road oh look at that person walking down the road everyone sees it and they can all sort of verify yes this is a legitimate say legitimate um thing because there's checks and balances right whereas the psychic stuff there's not so much that <coughs> can two psychics sit next to each other oh yeah there's like a ghost over there like <coughs> maybe <coughs> but it's not as uh i don't think it's as verifiable right but that's just the nature of the situation right and so uh then these religions beyond just stating there is this top level there is another world out there there's other forces other beings that are invisible to us then they go to another level well there's about the specifics of who these beings are what their intentions are their relationship with humans is right and then it goes through these layers of an onion down to the specific uh theology in question which is they're saying very specific things you know like you must accept Jesus and the lord is your savior and this and that and the other thing so it just seems to me that in these discussions of atheism it's basically do you believe or you don't believe uh and that to me is a classic dialectic which is they're forcing people to go into one camp or the other camp and i'm in i'm in the middle you know i'm really in the middle of that i <clears throat> and i don't know how many people are sort of in the same position as me uh, but it's frustrating 
to to witness these discussions that are ignoring a whole aspect of the question, you know. But I think that what I don't know is is that my own personal perceptions of this nature are certainly a huge factor in my views on these matters. And I understand as I've talked to people, most people that I've I've known and talked to about this topic have told me that they have no nothing of this sort in terms of a, a psychic spiritual uh, perceptions. They don't have it at all. Zero. And that they're just sort of relying on reason and what other people are telling them and etc. So it is kind of hard for me to imagine <coughs> necessarily what life is like without access to these senses. I mean, it's almost sort of like imagine a whole world where everyone is blind and cannot see. One, A few people can see just a little bit sh- shapes and tones, nothing specific, very low level of vision. Those people would be considered like crazy. Like, what do you mean you're seeing shapes and things? What does that even mean? <clears throat> so, you know, that definitely is a factor uh, in it. Um, but I think that the the subject of uh, the origin of life comes up a lot. And as I talked about, I feel like I'm I I am I do respect science. I'm very scientifically minded, and I think that um, what they call neo Darwinism, which I think is really, as more and more empirical evidence is showing up, is 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 becoming harder and harder to explain the phenomenon of life as the origin of life, and that uh, that is. Unfortunately, that really shouldn't be the only thing, but it does seem to be the crux of a lot of people's arguments about it. I think something related to that is what upset that guy in Scotland, that I was sort of mocking the idea. I, sh- I shouldn't have mocked it as much as I did. Uh, but as it turned, this was even, I think, as the years have gone on, uh, even from a scientific perspective, and I know there's going to be a lot of people that <coughs> don't want to even think about this or look into this, but I think that... Uh, you know, for example, um, epigenetics is something that I think has gone from an utterly taboo topic in the scientific field to something that's more and more accepted, which is that right? epigenetics states that uh, experiences of the life form after they're born uh, uh, <coughs> affect the genetic code that's passed on to their uh, their their offspring. Whereas previously it was stated that only the genetic code you're born with is what's passed on to your offspring. <clears throat> but now I think they've had to admit that there's an evidence of it. Again, I'm not familiar enough with the scientific uh, aspect of it to get into detail. But <coughs> So that one aspect has had, because this science is, science is never settled. It's always an exploration. It's always a best guess. It is an essential tool, but it's not ever going to give you... I think people, not actual scientists, but the general public will go to the (coughs) complete 100% in terms of (coughs) scientific uh, determinations. Trust the science being a phrase that came up in recent years because of the pandemic of the ailment I'm currently experiencing. But from a scientific perspective, to me, it's just like 
this is our best guess given all the information we have uh, observed and reproduced and and retested and of course everything is is open to be reinterpreted and uh, looked at again with new information people are uncomfortable with that they they want to believe and i think that if you take a step back this discomfort with not knowing is i think part of what drives a lot of these issues we present someone with well we have an explanation but it may not be true but it may be true people are like yeah i don't know i don't know if i want to deal with that or here's something that's 100 percent true and we're saying it's 100 percent true and you and you can think that too then you don't have to worry about it anymore it's like great I'll take that one. You know, I'll have what she's having. You know, I can understand that completely. I'm not against that in in any way. I I, I mean, I feel that philosophically it's flawed, but <sighs> anyway, this all this this is all to say that the the vision I had of about this is has to do with uh, the nature of the level of reality we're we're living in <coughs> is that there is a kind of structure to the way this place we are living in where there's a, a, a type of blocking of information that is uh, certain kinds of information are there's a wall up you know metaphorically speaking between this world and the next world part of the design of this world you might say this is all theory that this world is very much like a box that we're in and the transfer of information is is cut off and and that led to the title of today's show interestingly and this is something that i was really not expecting but um again i have sort of this internal dialogue which i think a lot of people have where i'm trying to address potentially the topic that in general each of us is does exist at a next level up and we're sort of inhabiting this this earth world with as human beings um, in the same way as in the movie The Matrix, for example, people jacking into The Matrix. So the question was, <coughs> I understand there's this information blockage here, but if I were at that next level up where I am the being that I am that is projecting into this earth would I, how much more would I know? Like, that's the question. Like, would I know everything or, <coughs> and then the answer was the title of today's show, there is a great deal more revealed. Not everything, but a great deal more is revealed. And I love that phrase so much, I decided to use it as the, the show art. A great deal more revealed. And it's kind of weird because these, these last two episodes, <coughs> um, as I said, last episode, the rung tape, that rung tape is pretty wild, that uh, that piece I put together for the other side, right? <coughs> um, I took a picture of my shower curtain, and there were patterns created by the water droplets on the shower curtain. And I put it through some filters in Photoshop, and it got kind of a cool look. Kind of like pinks and greens and yellows and oranges. But then I realized that, it, as, as I said on last episode, that it was similar to... Um, that poem I wrote, which was right at, it was really the phrase at the transition point between my previous project 
Oblivion, a super occult amusement, and this current project, The Overnightscape, right? And the phrase was Sour Curtain. And I didn't even realize this until afterwards, but what the artwork I created does look like a sour curtain. If you could depict sourness in an image, that is absolutely a sour shower curtain. <coughs> Which I'm is weird because I'm not anticipating any kind of particular transition point between 2023 and 2024. There's nothing specific, but just sort of, I just, I'm working intuitively with this stuff. And it's kind of referencing that moment, which again, I have no awareness of any potentials or possibilities of new things, things changing, though that could always happen. Um, <coughs> so today's episode, a great deal more revealed is sort of expanding on that theme and uh, when I thought about what to use as show art, I was thinking something of, something of a looking at a landscape or something like that. And I was I thought of uh, the pictures I took when I was out in uh, in Nebraska. As an episode called Omaha, another episode called Great Plains. When I went out to Omaha, Nebraska, back in 2016, and the first image that came up, I couldn't find it at first, so I just searched for Omaha, and this image came up, the one that you see. And I played around with some filters, but I, I eventually just kept it exactly as it was. This is an image of a bridge going over a river with two towers on the bridge. It seems very full of symbolism, of crossing a bridge and reaching another level, a great deal more revealed. I even used the font Skid Row and, and the, the art style that I've used in other transitional episodes, such as episode 1000, Stairway Grandfather. So... That uh, specific image is, I have the exact information about it. It's uh, taken on June 27th, 2016, and it's the John Kerry Pedestrian Bridge between Nebraska and Iowa. But it's uh, definitely full of uh, symbolism. So I'm actually a bit surprised at these last two episodes in terms of where how they came out, as they seem, I guess maybe deep down, I'm I'm hoping for some sort of transition or new phase or something though again i'm not aware of anything like that it seems like 2024 is going to be more of the same as 2023 will there be a great deal more revealed i don't know i do <coughs> i do like that phrase though <coughs> um anyway i'm just going with it as as fish says in their the secret of of, of the universe and their or the most important faction uh the, in their game henge saga which is sort of the fictional story that is the foundation of Fish. The Helping Friendly book tells you how to live your life, and they quote it pretty much saying, the trick is to surrender to the flow. And uh, that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm sort of surrendering to the flow of intuition and ideas and things. Right? I think that's in the song The Lizards. Can I, can I, find, a, can I find that? Let me see if I can find that. If they play the lizards tonight, you know, maybe they'll start with the lizards. Yeah. See, that, that'll be another sign. <laughs> well, of course, what I'm talking about is something that's, you know, is it pa- what is it, paromia? There's some sort of phrase where people finding patterns in things that really aren't there. I understand that. That's why I'm always hedging my bets, trying not to believe anything. But let, let's, let's hear the lizards if we can. 
Here's like a random performance from like uh, 1994. Well, I'll give you the specifics. It's, uh, was it? Is it on? July 16th, 1994. At the Sugarbush Summer Stage, North Faston, Vermont. Is this going? I don't, I don't know. Can we get this going? Watch football all season long. Football? I don't want to see football. No. The lizards. <coughs> so Trey, the leader of the band, uh, created this Game Henge saga as his sort of uh, his thesis in, in college. And it became sort of the foundational mythology of the band. This guy from Long Island, New York, goes to this other world, has all these adventures. Come on, they got to play this tonight. Big baboon. And I wouldn't if I tried. It's a good song, isn't it? I know most of you have never heard fish, but the lizards they have died. <coughs> this song is I don't think they play this too often. This would be a good opener, I think. Maybe this will get some of you into fish. I don't know. Yeah, and uh, Wilson is the king of Prussia, and it's inspired by the king of Prussia Mall in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. If you listen to the latest uh, exit ramp, and many exit ramps, Jefferson uh, is usually walking around the King of Prussia Mall while we we're on the show. <coughs> I think they're going to get to the part about surrender to the flow soon. So these people, the lizard, they're, they're so inept, they keep messing up. And they need the book to, to help guide them. We're also going to go extinct. Here it is. That's it. <coughs> he has a whole story. <coughs> a whole story. Where they do wind up, uh, I think they wind up killing Wilson, but then someone else just as bad takes over, something like that. I don't know exactly. 
Anyway. But yeah, I think... Yeah, one other thing I wanted to mention was the idea that what happens after you die? Where do you go? The idea is that if you think of the normal ideas, a lot of people say, when you're dead, you're dead. You're, if you're an atheist, materialist, atheist, when you're dead, you're dead. Nothing happens. Okay, that's possible. Other people are like, you're going to go to heaven or hell, depending on how you did in life. But what about if we just sort of revert to who we were before we came here? <coughs> that's actually quite different than any of these other ideas. It won't really feel like like when you get out of here, when you pass away and you go up to the next level, you'll be you'll unplug yourself from the matrix and be like, "Oh wow, that was something." You know, and so it won't be like you're going to heaven or hell or anything. It's just like you're back to who you were before that. Which interestingly, my mother who passed away 2 years ago, two and a half years ago, that was something of the impression I got of her because I did have contact with her as she was passing over. And it seemed like she was kind of reverting back to what she was before. Yeah. My father was a different case. I tried to contact him and I can feel his presence, but he seems to be in, in a different situation. Yeah, I don't know. In fact, my impressions of my parents trying to contact them it doesn't seem like anything I would make up. <laughs> and I always get somewhat consistent feedback. <coughs> but it's not reliable. It's not testable. All right, I gotta get ready. The show starts. <coughs> well, two hours till the show. Hey, it's later on. It's about 7.30. The webcast just started. Let's get to, uh, it says, stay tuned. Get a live shot of Madison Square Garden. I would have been there. Right now in the other timeline, I'm there. But now I'm on the couch. Oh, it's rather unfortunate. What are you going to do? I do feel a little out of it. I mean, uh, I think I would have been okay if I went, but don't want to spread the COVID. See what music they're playing. They they have the uh, music they play before the show. We can always use the Shazam. Try to check out what music they're they're playing. Let's see if we can get this to work here. Checking out. Is it loud enough? Hmm. No, it's not finding it. Uh, <coughs> oh, it's a song called Odds On by Charles Kynard, K-Y-N-A-R-D. Interesting. I've never heard of Charles Kynard before. It was some good stuff. Some good jazz before the show. <coughs> so yeah, one thing I was going to talk about on last episode, uh, another movie I saw, Rebel Moon on Netflix, just came out. Rebel Moon. I'd heard of this project. Let me turn the music down here. <coughs> I'd heard of the project. Apparently Zack Snyder, who makes some of those uh, superhero movies like <coughs> the, Just the Justice League movie. I guess he wanted to make a Star Wars movie. 
it sounds like it was in the works for a long time, but it all fell through. So he de Star Warsized it and made it in, made it uh, himself. It's called Rebel Moon. So I didn't know quite what to think going into it, but uh, it is uh, horrible. It's a horrible movie. It's, I mean, you pretty much could tell from the from the first few minutes that it was going to be a cinematic disaster of epic proportions. I kept hoping to find that I could get those robots and the dude at, at the lower right corner from Mystery Science Theater. It's the only way you could enjoy this movie, them, like, <laughs> ripping on it. You know, I mean, I've endured a lot of bad stuff and a lot of bad Star Wars. I mean, that uh, The Last Jedi, just about one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Um, Rise of Skywalker, not much better. This was bad on a whole nother level. This uh, movie seemed like a series of set pieces completely derivative of every other science fiction movie you've ever seen. And the plot or the logic that connects them is very, very loose. Uh, (coughs) You know a movie's bad when you're really hoping the heroes just get killed by the villains. That's what I was hoping in this one. Just just kill them already. Uh, People are saying sort of like the seven samurai in space. The whole premise of the movie is, in my opinion, just really, really flawed. Um, it, it's basically, again, it's so der- derivative of everything, but it's sort of this a world where there's spaceships, and the people living on the planets are living like in the past in America, so like in the Old West. They're like farmers in the Old West. <laughs> it's so stupid. But you've seen that. I mean, you know, in Star Wars, there was, you know, Luke Skywalker was a far- most moisture farmer. But in this case, they're actual farmers that just grow grain. And they get into a conflict with the, uh, you know, the, whatever the equivalent of the evil empire is in this in this one, <coughs> and uh, they wind up uh, killing the marines that were sent to watch over them to steal all their grain. So now they're like they know they're going to be attacked, so they need to uh, go around the galaxy finding warriors to help them fight. <laughs> Meanwhile, the whole time I'm thinking. You know, <coughs> why not just nuke it from orbit? You know, if they really wanted to uh, get back at the farmers for killing their men, just nuke them. They actually showed them nuking a whole planet. But yes, there was a plot device that, oh, you need to go catch this one particular person so they can't just nuke it. Um, It's, I mean, there are scenes that are visually impressive but there's no, it makes no sense. It has no plot, no rhythm. What a disaster. And now they're saying they're going to make a new version. That's This one, I guess, was PG-13. They're going to make an R-rated version of the same movie. Then there's a part two coming out in April. <coughs> I thought it would be this new sci-fi franchise, but I really don't understand. I, this is the kind of thing that someone at Netflix must have seen the script, Right. The script is clearly a disaster. It is not even close to being coherent. It's horrible. Why invest money in this? Why not say, hey, we read the script. Yeah, sorry, it's really terrible. Why don't you try to write another script or try to revise it? We're not going to spend money on this. Like, I don't understand how you read that script and then you just put millions of dollars into it. I mean, you can tell it has a huge budget. 
It's so uninspired. <coughs> the thing I'm scared of is that, uh, you know, someone, a young person might see this having never seen Star Wars or Dune or The Matrix or Star Trek or anything and be really, like, blown away by it because of the the visuals and the themes and stuff. Not realizing how derivative it is. But yeah, like all the planets are like, they're like, some of them are like, it's like the old west. And I know that's been gone. I know like Firefly had that and it kind of worked in Firefly. Firefly was great. In this case, though, it just sort of really doesn't make any sense. And it and it's also not campy enough to sort of allow the illogic stuff to sort of just be uh, tossed away, you know, because it's. It feels all grim and dark and serious. We have to save the farmers. And the villains are just doing... Just... I, I guess, like, the idea is that the, uh, the Empire, they encourage their officers just to be completely sadistic. And I don't know. It doesn't really make any sense. None of it makes any sense. Awful. Truly awful uh, TV. And as as some people wrote, it does feel like this is a movie that was written <coughs> by <coughs> an AI. It it feels like that. That it just it has this incoherent there's a very specific incoherent quality to AI stuff that's written by AI. It really felt like that. I'm sure it wasn't written by an AI, but it just it just felt like that. Ugh, what a mess. And then there was a whole part that was very hard to figure out. Like the people had this plug in the back of their head like in the matrix and this guy that got like the villain that got killed was like brought back to life using that plug it made no sense whatsoever yeah anyway um there's a there's a phenomenon of uh this is on a whole different topic here phenomenon of a technology making things harder uh than they should be right and I think that in the long run, this is going to be sort of a short-lived phenomenon, historically speaking. Uh, a great example is um, the television set, right? In the old days, before uh, cable television or anything, you had a TV set, and it had an antenna. And you would turn it on, there's an on-off button, and uh, and there was a volume uh, dial where you can make it louder or softer, the, the volume of the audio. Then there was a channel the dial to change the channels, right? And I know vertical hold, all this other stuff, but generally that was all of it. And there was no remotes back before a certain point, so you just turned it on, set the volume, and changed the channels, and that was it. Then we got to the point, as everyone knows, where everyone had six remote controls for the TV, the cable box, and the DVR, and this and that and the other thing, and it became, like, impossible. It became so hard especially people that were older, they would always need a younger relative to try to help them fix the TV. And they still like that. Like, you know, like you have the TV, the cable box. Oh, and then also the uh, the Roku, and the video game system and the inputs and this and that. And it sort of feels like something that was, you know, simple has now become super, super complicated. And it just is very frustrating. <coughs> right. I don't know if there's a name for this phenomenon, but I experienced it. Recently, there's a uh, w- one thing that's been going on <laughs> the past uh, <coughs> week or so is on the Epic Game Store, which I do have. It's sort of a challenger to Steam, 
as a place to buy and store your your games on your PC. Epic Game Store is giving away a game every a free game every twenty four hours, and if you miss it, you miss it. So you got to claim it, uh, you know, within that twenty four hour window. And um, so I've been keeping up with it. There's been some interesting games, but one game they gave away is DNF Duel, which is a game that I was aware of. I'd seen it. It's a fighting game, a two D fighting game, a la you know Street Fighter, a King of Fighters, based on um, some kind of a dungeon game that. I think it was an online game, like a browser game. I never played it, DNF. But it looked interesting, but I I never wanted to spend $60 for this game. And then also, when it comes to the fighting games, it's so frustrating because, like, uh, for example, like um, Guilty Gear Strive was on sale. Oh, only $15. Great. Oh, but do you want all the characters? That'll be $90, please. All the characters are DLC or downloadable content. So it's like, the base game is cheap, but then <coughs> you got to pay for all the extra characters. They never used to have this crap, so I wound up never buying them. So DNF Duel was one of them, but it came up for free on on the Epic Game Store. So uh, of course I grabbed it. Now of course there's a few more characters, just a few characters locked behind the DLC that you have to buy. But I'm like, listen, I don't have to buy them. I don't even know if I like this game. My 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 gaming uh, laptop is. Uh, very old and it's it's failing i need to get a new one um but anyway so i'm like let me play the game so i turn it on and (coughs) it doesn't work with the controller i have my uh, stadia controllers that were converted to bluetooth by the way if you were following this you know stadia was uh google's game streaming service that they shut down and the controllers they created an online tool to convert them to bluetooth so you can keep using them Although plugged in, they would continue to work. They set a deadline of uh, the last day of 2023 to get to convert your controllers. This is another example. Things are getting overly complicated. It's you know sort of goes into your controller and converts it and makes it a Bluetooth controller. Like you have to do it before the end of 2023, or else your controllers are dead forever. So they they extended it through all of 2024. Now, very nice of them. I, I, I have three of them. I've already converted them. They're very good controllers. These controllers work fine for most of the games on my PC. I tried to play DNF Duel and uh, nothing. Nothing's working. And I went on the subreddit, of course, and everyone's having the same problem. Everyone that got the game for free, they can't play it with their controller, and it's kind of annoying playing it with the keyboard. (coughs) So they're like, listen, we have an easy fix. (coughs) What you need to do is, if you have Steam, and of course everyone's going to have Steam, is you have to add... The Epic Games Store as a game on Steam, then open Steam in big picture mode, which will give you controller support, then launch the Epic Games Store from within Steam, which itself is a store, and from there, if you open... So you're like running Epic Games as a, as a, a game inside Steam, and then, the, <coughs> then you launch <coughs> DNF Duel... It's, <coughs> it's like these multiple <coughs> nested layers. <coughs> Sorry, I'm coughing so much. I have COVID. Come on. Right? Then it'll work. Then it works with the controllers. Can you imagine? The, the, you have to jump through hoops just to play the free game. And you can't, you can't complain. The game was free. What, are you going to look a gift horse in the mouth? Come on. But, uh, yeah. What a drag. So, so I've done it a few times. I mean, it's an okay game. I mean, it's not bad. It's just... Uh, you know, 
I don't know if it's worth really worrying about. It's, uh, it was just a few days after a Grand Blue Fantasy Versus, another game that's, I think, published by Arc System Works, which does a lot of the good games. That came out on Steam, and there's a free version where you you only get, like, four free characters, and it's, it changes every week. But you can play the game without buying it. And that was fine for me. I mean, just to try it out. <coughs> but if you want to have all the characters now, you need to give them $60, and then there's DLC characters, you got to give them another $90 or something. I don't know. Maybe not another 90 but... So if you want to get into a fighting game, it's a, a lot of money, you know. The, all the DLC characters, downloadable content. But one thing I'm hoping with all this talk of AI... Just use AI to make this stuff easy to use. Like, I want to play this game with my controller. Can an AI figure out how to do it? You know, I want to watch something on my TV. Can the AI help? You know, it's... And I even remember, like, uh, remember Steve Jobs before he died was saying Apple was trying to crack the code of TV, like to create a TV that was easy to use and they never could figure it out because all different services, all these... Like, even now, it's like there's all these different services and I know there's... Like uh, Google TV or Chrome TV, it's a service where you can combine all the other services into one service. Oh my God, it's just ponderous. And you know, I'm I, I I'm rather fluent in the computer interfaces, but people that are older than me, <coughs> you know, have a real hard time with this stuff and really, literally, cannot figure it out at all. Never mind all the scams that are constantly going on and. Social engineering, trying to steal people's money and stuff. It's a weird time we're going through. All this technology. But look, I'm able to sit here in my living room and watch fish. Hopefully starting soon. <coughs> Historically speaking, they should start around 8, 8.05 or so. 7.30 is the time on the ticket. It's 7.52 now. They always start about 35 minutes after the stated time. Yes. I could be sitting there right now. I don't know. I feel a little little fatigued from, from having the COVID-19 virus. It's better off that I'm on the couch. I don't know if I'm going to be able to stay up. I think I'm going to... F- I want to see the whole show. If I was there, I'd be forced to stay awake. As it is, I don't know. I feel like I'm going to fall asleep. But I did take a nap today. Hopefully that'll be enough. All right. Anyway, we've got to see what the opener is. That's always the exciting thing, the opener. I'm really hoping it's the lizards, as we were listening to. But uh, we'll see what it is. I'm not really into Karini openers anymore. I think Karini's better as, like, the second song. They've been doing it as a second song a lot. And, of course, you know, the specter of Harpua is always there. Harpua is this song that they rarely ever play. About this, Jim, this kid Jimmy and his cat poster nutbag that gets killed... And the adventures he goes on. You know they're going to do it out in out in Vegas. You know they have to do it out in Vegas. <coughs> so anyway. And I, I, I don't think I can go to Vegas. I can't afford the $7,000 tickets. See, why is my fish life being blocked? I can't go to this one because I have the disease. They have a song, Down With Disease. Yes. And I can't go to the one in Vegas because it costs $7,000. I can't afford it. Even if I could afford it, it's not right. I, I want to have tickets for a normal price. All right, I'll pause and let you know when the show starts. Well, this is different music they're playing now. 
The song is called Annalina by Daniel Ogren. I don't know if you can hear it. Oh, it changed though. <coughs> it's always cool to see what they're playing. What is this song now? This is uh, Hjalmar Fjorden by Daniel Ogren. <coughs> All right, it's 8.01. My neighbor, who I was going to go with, did wind up going. I encouraged him to go. <coughs> um, he just got there. He said, just got in major train delays due to flooding. Wow. That would have been really stressful. He said the person I gifted the ticket to is not on their left yet. Who knows? Listen, I tried to do something good. Who knows if that ticket was actually used? I don't know. That person's not there yet? I gave, I, I, I gave them a free ticket, and they're not there. What are they? Oh, here's a free ticket. Okay, great. Thanks. I'm not going. Shut up. Go see the show, damn it. I gave you a free ticket. <clears throat> anyway. I tried. So he's there now. He's there. I would have been there. I would have just gotten there. I would have been all stressed out, standing in uh, the train station waiting for the train because there's all these delays. That's crazy. Because usually there's no problem getting a train from Secaucus in, in, into Penn Station. Yikes. <coughs> that is wild. Yeah, the show should start any moment now. All right. I think it should start in a moment. 8.04. Here we go. It's starting. Wow. I'm so glad he made it with all that flooding. This is the standard intro song, Live Fish. Feature presentation. What will the first song be? This is exciting. December 28th, 2023, New York, New York. Here we go. Lizards? What could it be? Come on. There they are on stage. Is this No Man? No Man's Land? What song is it? recognize it yet unless if it's no man what the hell how much ha- it is it is no man in no man's land it was not the lizard started. We are the no man in no man's land. That was quite a show. We're still waiting for the encore here. No man in no man's land and then Haley's Comet. Sample in a jar. Love that song. Runaway Jim bouncing around the room. Axilla part two. Funky bitch. Bathtub, Jim, and Ghost. I, I, I fell asleep a little bit towards the end there. But I stayed up for the entire second set, which was absolutely phenomenal. 
starting with the howling. <coughs> this is <coughs> where everyone in the everyone in the building starts howling, and I, it, it happened when I was there over the summer. It's a while to experience. Wave of Hope at 25 minutes. What an amazing jam. A Rift, always a great song. Mike's song. And then a Simple, that jam, also incredible. And the Mike's, Mike's song jam, <coughs> also incredible. Finally Blaze on, and now we're waiting for the encore here. What's it going to be? What time is it? 11.16. So if I was there, you know. I would have preferred to be <coughs> be there, but uh, now I don't have to go through the process of coming home afterwards. But I did kind of enjoy that process, going down into the train station, getting the train over to Secaucus and driving home. Let's see what's going on here. <coughs> is just texting me holy smokes strong first show yeah it's amazing they're back here let's see what the uh, I don't know I have a weird feeling it could be Frankenstein but that's a real long shot (coughs) very very much you know the Edgar Winter group listen you never know you never know what's gonna happen with fish could be the lizards you never know (coughs) this has been quite a show and it's not over yet What's it going to be? This is what's one of the exciting things about fish. You never know what's coming next. What's it going to be? Hmm. is it? I don't know this one yet. Is it Joy or something? No. You can always check uh, fish from the... (coughs) Hmm. Fish from the road. I don't know this song. Yeah, Fish from the Road on X.com, formerly Twitter. <coughs> Mercy. I don't know this song really. Hmm. Well, this can't be the only song, it's a slow song. All right, I see this is from uh, Trey's solo album from <coughs> last year. It's only the second time played by Fish. Right, this has to be followed by a real barn burner type of song. All right, I think this is the end of the song. People are saying, yeah, that sounds like Trey's losing his voice. Hmm. 
what's going to be next. People think it's going to be a week of groove because we need we need it from the Mike song, but we'll see. It's going to be. The Squirming Coil. Nice. Good song. song that ends uh, <coughs> wow I can't talk I'm, I'm coughing so much I think this is a song that ends yeah this is a song that ends with uh, Paige playing piano as the other members sort of leave the stage love this song yeah this is the ending part The other members are still on the stage at this point, but I think they'll start walking off. This was some show. And you can listen to it as well. Remember, you can always check out these fish shows at fish.in, P-H-I-S-H.in, or relisten.org. <coughs> or is it relisten.net? They're not on the Internet Archive, but they're on those other places, so it can be had. Hmm, they're staying on, so maybe they're going to do another song after this. Interesting. Oh, wait, wait, there they're going. Are they going to do another song? Wow. I'm surprised. Yep, here's the weak apart groove. I'm trying to make a woman that you move. Sharing in a weak apart groove. <coughs> See, if you don't know. Mike's song is always paired with Weekapal Groove with the song in between. The song in between is traditionally I Am Hydrogen, but it could be anything else, too. But if you have a Mike song, you have to have a Weekapal Groove. That set of songs is known as Mike's Groove. There's your fish, uh, fish trivia for today. Some show. Should have been there. Trying to make a woman that you move. And I'm sharing in the week of one 
seems like you're getting to the crescendo here. See, so I'd be up there to the left in section 209. Looking from the stage. It's not over yet? Oh my god, it's still going. Say it to me, Santos. <coughs> Some encore. Wow. <coughs> you will always be reminded. Gee, I'm messing that up. Say it to me, Santos. 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 Hi ho, hi ho, hi ho. This is what space smells like. Always remember. <coughs> wow, still going. gonna keep going or is this it 11:42 p.m.
So yeah, now I don't have to uh, go home. Uh, am I, I'm at home. That long walk down the stairwell, down into Penn Station, seeing when the next train is. At times it was a long wait, then <coughs> sometimes out into the, you know, going out into the streets, all the fish fans out there, waiting for the uh, the next train, and getting on the train, heading over to Secaucus, arriving, walking through, and walk over to the parking lot. Go up to the ticket machine, pay the 30-some-odd dollars to park. Get in the car and drive home. I'm telling you, it's a process, but I don't have to do that right now. I'm already home. Good morning. So it's the next morning now, 7.28 a.m. Yeah, I had like a... Kind of what you would call fever dreams. Maybe I did have a fever. I, I did wake up in the middle of the night kind of s- drenched in sweat. Um, but yeah, the dreams that I remember is it, kind of uh, very particular to that fevered state where normal life is vastly more complex and uh, more things to keep track of than you normally would think. It's very frustrating because you're trying to keep track of all these different factors and it seems like there's no way you can actually do it. Um, But I did resolve into a uh, sort of a more normal dream later on where in this suburban neighborhood, the Brady Bunch house was there and the Brady kids and there was some project about it. I think it did sort of imply this was after that uh, TV show where they, um, I forget what the show was called, but on the TV show, The Brady Bunch, which if you don't know, was a sitcom, I suppose, from the 60s that uh, became an obsession of my generation as it was shown in reruns about uh, a man and a woman. The man had three sons, the woman had three daughters. The other spouses mysteriously vanished in some way that's never talked about. They get married, hire a housekeeper named Alice, and live a wacky existence in California. <laughs> and uh, they would use a house on the TV, the original TV show as the exterior shot to establish the house. And then um, the actual interiors of the house were in, were in a soundstage. But there was a TV show, I would say, 10 years ago, maybe, eight years ago, six years ago, <coughs> one of those kind of years ago things, where they actually bought that house. And it was in Los Angeles somewhere, and uh, completely gutted it and renovated it to become the Brady Bunch house. <coughs> and then I think someone would win it. I'm not sure what ever happened with that, but. And it's amazing, all six Brady kids are still alive. They outlived the Friends cast, the six friends. Can you imagine? The six Brady kids are still alive, but one of the six friends from the TV show Friends is, is already passed away, Matthew Perry. What is that? Oh, an airplane outside. It's rather loud. 
maybe I could use the uh, the tracker app to uh, see what airplane that is. <coughs> yeah. Let's see. Yeah. It is a Cessna 680A Citation Latitude from NetJet. And it's uh, going from Teterboro, of course. That's the, the, We're under the flight path of the Teterboro uh, departures. Going up to White Plains. Interesting. White Plains, New York. <coughs> That's it. They don't seem to be going towards White Plains. They, yeah, I guess they have to go to the southwest and then curve around, <coughs> curve, <coughs> curve around to go up to White Plains as a flight path. Yes, they're curving now. Still watching them. Sorry, I know it's very hard to record when I have this uh, COVID because I keep coughing. But that was slightly implied that it was that Brady house but it was a neighborhood kind of similar to the one I grew up in. Um, yeah, they're turning north now. There they are. They keep turning. Turning towards White Plains. Yeah. Shouldn't be that long of a flight to White Plains, I wouldn't think. I have a couple shows where I went up to White Plains, uh, White Plains Drifter, and I think White Plains Drifter too. It's a wild place, a weird place, that town of White Plains. A lot of malls, heck of a lot of malls there, shopping malls. But anyway, in the dream, I was someone, I was a part of this project. I was a writer or somehow otherwise part of the project. So I was, I visited the house and I was there in the backyard. So it was not like, it was the real world where the actors were playing the Brady kids, now of course all grown up. And somehow I was a part of the project. And uh, later I needed to get back there and uh, my mother was driving the car. And I was looking at the maps and I'm like, I kind of remember the name of the street they were on, but somehow we got all confused. I'm like, yeah, just turn right here. So I was in the car, but I was looking at the map on my phone, which is interesting because usually phones don't work in dreams, or, you know, or computers or anything, but this was, I was actually looking at the map. Um, But I'm like, no, no, don't turn here. This is a dead end. You're going to have to do like a K-turn. Then I looked ahead and there's like, <coughs> the road just sort of ends and it kind of goes up and then it's like a U-turn right on the road itself, right? It, it kind of banks up and then you could just go around and there's a U-turn. It's weird. I, I haven't seen that very much in the real world, that kind of U-turn for a road. I'm like, no, no, just just take the U-turn. But she really wasn't paying attention to me. It was weird. And then I, I think I woke up. I, did, we, I didn't know if we took the U-turn to get back to the Brady Bunch house, but... That was about it for the Brady Bunch dream. How's this plane doing? Oh, it's heading towards White Plains. It's going up by Mawa and Suffern already. Wow. Why can't I see White Plains on the map here? I don't know. Should we watch all the way till they get to White Plains? Newburgh, Bombville, Marlboro, 
Poughkeepsie? No, it's way before Poughkeepsie. Way before Poughkeepsie. Come on. Where is it? I can't find it on the map. Congers? What does that ring a bell? Yeah, the place I worked for a long time. Move, I, I was laid off from there, but then they moved up to White Plains as a business. And a lot of people I worked with had to commute up to White Plains. Hell of a commute. Really. What can I find on the map here? The plane is now crossing into New York State. Right about now. No. Sorry. No, that is that is the border. Oh, there's White Plains over there. Okay, all right. Hmm. No, that that's not the board. That's a straight line. It's <coughs> a straight line to the airport. Okay. They're starting to curve. They are. Yeah, they are definitely in New York, though. By Nanuet. They'll be there almost. It's a very quick, quick ride, right? Four more minutes. So it's like a twelve-minute flight. <laughs> From Teterboro to White Plains. I mean, it wouldn't be that far of a drive, honestly. I mean, 40, 40, 45 minutes maybe. But I guess if you can afford a net jet, you don't want to... I guess... But I can't imagine that that short of a flight, like... The whole rigmarole of going to the airport, parking, or maybe just being let off... Is there, do you have to go through security? Is there even security for that kind of thing? Getting on the plane, this and that. I mean, it, like, I can't be that much of a savings. Just, you know what I mean? Because it's, it's really not that. Yeah. <coughs> yeah, they'll be there soon. They're going a sort of a roundabout way. By Haverstraw. They're right across the, the Hudson from Croton on Hudson right now. Ossining. Which used to be called Sing Sing. I remember when, when I was in high school, I read a book talking about Ossining, New York. How it used to be called Sing Sing. And then there was this very famous prison there called Sing Sing Prison. And they didn't want to be associated with it anymore. So they changed their name to Ossining. But then they changed the name of the prison to Ossining, too. What book was that? Like, The Chocolate War or something? Remember The Chocolate War? It's a very important book to read. In the 80s. So it was about the uh, these kids in high school. If that was the one, if it took place there. And they had to, they had to raise money for some charity going door-to-door -door selling chocolates boxes of chocolates this one kid didn't want to and it was his personal struggle not to sell chocolate actually sounds kind of boring but I guess it was a big book The Chocolate War supposed to teach you about all sorts of aspects of life maybe they're taking this roundabout route just to sort of make it seem longer because <laughs> if they I guess at Teterboro you have to take off in a certain direction 
Oh, and then you have to line up with with the landing strip. Yeah, I got, I got it. Okay, that's why it's you can't do it as the crow flies. Crows can go wherever they want. Planes can't. White Plains Airport. But then when you're at White Plains Airport, you're you're kind of what airport is that? Westchester County Airport. So. What, I just got an ad for goldennuggetcasino.com? Like, I, I can't look at my plane while I'm, I have the ad for the casino. It's all about gambling these days. Talking about percentages and beliefs. Gambling. All right, here we go. It is... It's a final approach, 45 seconds. I don't think, I've never been to the Westchester County Airport. I don't know if I've, I've ever had any uh, need to go there. Then they have to get in a car and drive to wherever they're going in White Plains. I mean, yeah. Here they go. That plane we just heard over us uh, is going to be at its final destination soon. What is that? A little inlet called Rye Lake. Oh, is this by Rye, New York? I always knew there was like a Rye Playland, like a, a theme park or something, an amusement park, but I don't no, if I ever went there. I don't know if Rye Lake is by Rye, New York. Oh, then also Purchase, New York. Oh, that's right, because I went to SUNY Purchase. SUNY is the State University of New York. My sister-in-law did a did a play there called uh, something about Mr. Burns. It was like a future after the nuclear apocalypse. Um, No, it wasn't a nuclear. It was... Uh, it was like a disease that wiped out most of humanity. Now here, here they are. I think they're landing. They're landing. Are they about to touch down? Seven hundred. <coughs> it's pretty cool. All the data from the airplane is transferred to this app. Yep, they're on the ground. They have arrived. No, the play that I saw near there, SUNY Purchase, was uh, something about Mr. Burns. It was, uh, there was a disease that wiped out most of humanity. And without the people to run them, the nuclear power plants all entered, like they all went to meltdown mode and all exploded. Apparently that's true, I think, that uh, in absence of maintenance, the nuclear power plants will go critical and sort of melt down, creating a secondary disaster after the disease. And the few people that were left uh, started putting on stage shows of The Simpsons, you know, The Simpsons cartoon, uh, from memory. And... Uh, and it took place like a number, and then eventually it became like this weird religion about the Simpsons. I know it sounds like a dream or that I'm making it up, but no, this is a real play. It was right up there in that area. Hmm. Anyway, it paused there. So it, uh, the play is called Mr. Burns, a post-electric play. And I don't know if it was the chocolate war that took place in uh, an asening. 
it says that uh, in seasons one through three of AMC's TV series Mad Men, Ossining is the home of lead character Don Draper <coughs> and his family. It remains the home of his ex-wife Betty and their children through much of season four until they move to Rye. There you go. In FX's The Shield, I never saw that show, transfer to Ossining is offered to an inmate in exchange for testimony, stated as safe and sound in Ossining, New York, as opposed to referencing the town's original name of Sing Sing, which might have jeopardized the deal. Hmm. That book I read in high school, I was thinking it might have been I Am the Cheese, another young adult novel, but that takes place in a fictional town Monument, Massachusetts. So what could it have been? I don't know. I, I don't remember. All I remember is it took place in Ossining, New York. Hey. It's the next day. It's later on. It's like 6.03 p.m. Yeah, if anything, I, I don't know. I feel a little worse today, I think, with the COVID. I've been taking Alka-Seltzer Plus. I have a NyQuil for sleeping. Um, today I, uh, oh, here's my Alka-Seltzer Plus every four hours. <laughs> so I, I'm in no shape to go see the show tonight. I had a ticket for, as I mentioned, for Section 221, that the same one I was at over the summer. So I figured I'd, I'd look on, uh, <coughs> the subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash fish. And last night, like after midnight, someone said, oh, I need a miracle for tomorrow. It's weird. Every time I looked, there was one person needing a miracle, which, again, is the parlance for a free ticket, essentially. And, uh, you know, uh, it's just easier doing it that way as opposed to trying to, like, figure out how to sell it to someone. <coughs> like, how do you even do that? I've really never done that. Have them send you the money on Venmo and this and that and the other thing and. Also, if there is someone out there asking, you know, and I can provide them with the free ticket, makes me feel good that I did a good deed, you know. <laughs> Whereas the person last night may not have even shown up because my neighbor Brad did go and didn't see this person as far as I know. I'll try to get more of an update from him when I go over. Uh, yeah, I'm going to attempt to watch the show outside, even though I do still have COVID and I am technically contagious if we do it outside. <coughs> and he stays far enough away from me we can watch fish he has a really great sound system out there excuse me while I have my Alka-Seltzer Plus here so I I contacted the person I'm not really sure if you direct message someone if they see it <coughs> so I've been commenting on the post oh I DM'd you direct messaged you and then other people started saying hey hey man you, you have tickets do you have free tickets pretty scary stuff <coughs> but this uh this person i guess is from philadelphia gonna want somehow gonna be in new york today that's the story and i mean i looked at <coughs> i looked at her uh you know her reddit history and she seemed like a real person who was into fish not just a ticket scalper so I chatted with her and sent her the ticket. It went. It was much more smooth this time. No technical issues. 
Will she actually use it? <coughs> Was she just looking to, <coughs> to sell it? I don't know. I don't know. As they say, no good deed goes unpunished. But listen, I think my heart was in the right place. I I just sort of get a kick out of the thought that, you know, someone that really legitimately couldn't afford it and wanted to go to the show would be able to go to the show because of me. That gives me a good feeling. In reality, of course, things are a bit messier. I realize that. Uh, I'm a little apprehensive about sitting outside for so long, but... Hopefully it'll be all right, and if I really feel bad, I can just go home after the first set, you know. Something like that. But, uh, yeah, today I've been uh, doing major work on the book. As you may know, I recently got a uh, proof copy of the book. It was that far along, and I've been proofreading it, and... uh, you know, finding typos and fixing some styling errors and things like that. And uh, I'm pretty much almost done with it. I have a little bit left. And then I may be done. I may be able to release the book. So (coughs) who knows? Me getting COVID may have uh, made the book come out sooner. It's a possibility. I don't know why. As I'm talking, I'm coughing so much. It's really annoying. I really apologize for that. Try not to record too much uh, with this, uh, having this COVID. What day is it anyway? Is it, when is 2024 coming? Today is the 29th. Ooh. So, uh, yeah. Like two days and a few hours, it'll be 2024. The new year. Oh, also today, I, um, I had that birch beer I bought a while back. Remember I went out to, uh, Belvedere, New Jersey. Did you see that play with my cousin Vinny in it? I bought the uh, birch beer out there, Stewart's birch beer. It really hit the spot. I was like perfectly in the mood for that birch beer, and it was very delicious. Maybe it has medicinal qualities. Maybe it'll help heal me from the COVID-19 that I have. Anyway, yeah, I got to get ready. Bundle up and head over there to watch the show. At least if I'm outside, I'll be less likely to fall asleep. I didn't do too bad last night. I mean, I fell asleep for a little while, but not too much. I didn't miss too much of the show by falling asleep. Ah, good morning. It's the next day now, Saturday, December 30th, 2023. 9.54 a.m. Kitties are playing with a toy they got for Christmas. So just a few minutes ago, I think around 9.51, if, if, if I'm not mistaken, just a couple minutes ago, I uh, finished the book. Yes, I uh, yesterday I had uh, done a whirlwind session of editing, and last night I saved out uh, uh, a copy that I thought was finished, but there was a few issues with it, so I saved another one this morning. Went through the whole thing, it looked good, and I went into the KDP, Amazon Publishing, uploaded it, approved it, and now it's in the process of being published. They said it could take up to 72 hours to get on the site. It's finally done. Oh my god. On Sug Radio, broadcasting from inside this book. 
I, uh, I, I know I've, I've been working on this edition for over a year. It's my goal to get it out over the summer, but at least I got it out in 2023. Oh man, it's it's been quite a quite a journey. Uh, but I really, you know, the proof copy was, uh, you know, really think this is an improvement in every way over the last edition. From a more eye-catching cover and different title, you know, it went from the Onsug to Onsug Radio. I know I've been going back and forth with these titles, but I think Onsug Radio. And then that logo that was almost sort of an accident that I uh, I sort of put it together as, as almost like sort of an afterthought or just a whim and it just really took um, the color scheme of the cover now uh, so many things um, really really happy that I, I'm getting it done now so on to radio the book it should be up for you to purchase soon and I did of course keep it at the lowest possible price this is cheaper than the last one twelve fifty nine. Lowest price, I get no money from it. It is a, a non-commercial project. I know you might say, come on, Frank, make a few bucks. I know it costs you money to do this, but it's not. That's it, it really is a, a labor of love, and I want it to be as cheap as possible. I want people to buy copies of this and sort of slip it on the bookshelves of people you know. Just let it stay there. Because uh, a book will sit there for decades, centuries. Someone may pick it up and discover our audio sometime in the future. So the cheaper it is, the more copies people can buy. Anyways, uh, yeah, last night I did go outside uh, to watch the show, and it was actually really, really nice. It, it, it was raining a little bit, but I had a double hoodie on, so it was nice and warm, and plus the outdoor heaters and the um, the gas fire pick thing was on. And uh, so we watched the show outside, me and Brad, and uh, the first set was a little flat, a little sleepy. Uh, the set list was Free, MoMA Dance, Maze, Evolve, which is a great song, Stash. It was a good stash. Back on the train, you know, apparently last night there was even worse problems on New Jersey Transit, and people were stuck on the train and didn't even get in until uh, near the end of the first set. I would have had to deal with that if I had gone in. Um, theme from the bottom, which is always good. And then, you know, the last, I think, so that wasn't too bad. I think it was the last, it was the ending of the set that really kind of made it flat. Mountains in the Mist. And then 46 Days, which really wasn't a very inspired 46 Days. And then Drift While You're Sleeping. All of them good songs, but just kind of not a great combination. So I was a little underwhelmed by the first set. Um. But then uh, they really brought it in the second set. It was absolutely fantastic. Uh, uh, a tw- I think it was like 23-minute Choctaw's Torture with an incredible jam. Into Oblivion. Oblivion is a newer song. It works so well in, in, in this position. Great jam. And then Into What's the Use. Perfect. It was a very dark, weird uh, second set. And then Perfectly Into My Friend, My Friend with no mife ending with this weird jam at the end. Into Sand. I would say the second set was utterly perfect up until the sand. The sand, it was great. Um, But it just, you know, like it had just been going perfectly up until that point. Um, But the sand was fantastic. And then About to Run, which worked in the second set. And then they ended with a Harry Hood, of course. Always great to have a Harry Hood. The Encore Lonely Trip. 
And then, of course, Carini to end things. Carini had a lumpy head. And yes, there was no mife ending on my friend, my friend. My friend, my friend, he's got a knife. That's how they usually end it. My friend, my friend, he's got a knife. Mife. Uh, <coughs> so, as far as tonight's show goes, I'm not planning on going in tonight. Uh, <coughs> as you can tell, I'm still under the effects of the COVID. Apparently, everyone that came to came to the gatherings over over the holidays is getting the COVID. It's uh, it was a spreader event. I'm f- uh, really unfortunate how it all happened. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but, uh, anyway, I'm still thinking about, uh, going in for the New Year's Eve show. I think that's what I'm going to focus on. I'm just going to probably stay in and watch the show tonight here. <laughs> Pause there for a second. I'm looking at the show notes. It, it You know, it does feel like. The t- today's show title could be like it looks like a song on an album, you know, a great deal more revealed, like the last song on a great like concept album. I like that. Anyway, celebrity death to report: Tom Smothers dead at age eighty-six, from the Smothers Brothers, Tom and Dick Smothers. It was really annoying. Uh, a lot of the news feeds they they said Tom Smothers is dead, and they showed Dick Smothers. Worcester's catchphrase, Mom always did like you best. Um, yeah, so the Smothers Brothers TV show was a bit before my time. I, I was I was not around for the, that, that, that show's heyday. Of course, it was a really important show. They actually had the Beatles on performing Hey Jude on their show. So very cool, very cool show. I, I would love to sort of revisit the Smothers Brothers show, but we did have some Smothers Brothers albums growing up you know i don't think i found those did i find those in my parents records maybe i did i have to i have to check um the one song i remember we used to listen like you know having record albums back then it's so hard to express how uh it was to be a child in a a lower density uh, entertainment environment that is uh you know we have uh, the cable television that then morphed into the streaming services and then the uh, computers that morphed into the tablets and phones and various devices. So as a child today, there's essentially unlimited stimulation in the form of various entertainments, usually on tablets, TVs, etc. But when I was growing up in the 70s, there was much less density. That is, we had the TV before we got cable, which we only we got cable in the early 80s, probably 83 or 84, so only a very small number of channels could come in, some of them very fuzzy. Oftentimes there was no children's entertainment on. And then in your house you had the radio, which was not necessarily much fun for a kid, and then uh, the various books, publications. We had the Encyclopedia Britannica, and my parents' albums, record albums, <clears throat> and a few cassette tapes. So you would sort of explore the the albums when you were bored to, to listen to stuff. And uh, the Smothers Brothers was uh, they had funny comedy bits. 
And the one that's burned into my mind is kind of about like a Loch Ness monster kind of creature. Oh, the slithery D. He came out of the sea. He may get all the others, but he won't get me. No, he won't get me, stupid old slithery D. He may get all the others, but... I wonder if I can find that online. I think that was Dick singing. Let me see. I think I can... I'm sure someone put it online. It seems like the kind of thing that would be online. Yeah, I was thinking about that style of humor, like Tom Lair and uh, the new Christy Minstrels. I think we're sort of adjacent to the earlier 60s Smothers Brothers stuff. Let me see what we got here. I'm glad I got a, a dose of all that kind of stuff. 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 That stuff. That stuff. Slithery D. Smothers Brothers Slithery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so, yeah, this must be the record. Uh, Smothers Brothers, it must have been something I said. Yeah, here it is. It's only 30 seconds long. This has got to, this has got to be it, right? Wait, this is not it. It's about people traveling in a van with cats. It's not what I wanted. Oh, that's Tom. He crawled out of the sea. I think. He may catch all the others. Where's a dick? He won't catch me. I think I had it pretty accurate, right? <laughs> no, you won't catch me, you stupid old slithery D. You may catch all the others, but you <laughs> Yeah, we really got a kick out of that. Was it live at the Ice House 1964? Interesting. Smothers Brothers. It must have been something I said. And the cover has 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 uh, Tom smashing a guitar over Dick's head. I think the gimmick was that. Ooh, it's coming back again. Uh, Tom was the straight man, and Dick was sort of the the, the funny guy. Great stuff. Stuff? Stuff! Alright, it's a little later on. It's about 5.44pm. It's already dark out. Fish show's in about two hours. I'll be watching it from the living room. Still thinking of going tomorrow, though, for the New Year's Eve show. The extravaganza, they always have some sort of a special performance, a gimmick that is a secret. And I'm feeling a little bit better getting over my COVID. But yeah, I've been doing a little more work on the uh, the book, um, the graphic image that's on uh, the Internet Archive page. The main page there, uh, I updated to match the final cover. Also put that same image on the onsug.com to link to that page. Playing around with some 3D renderers and stuff. Still in review. Uh, hopefully it'll be approved soon. Quite exciting. But in honor of that, uh, because uh, my explorations of colors, I've, on this one uh, color site, there's a color called Galliano that I thought of as that band I, I've talked about in the past. Um, there's a clip from Glastonbury 93 or 94 where they're talking about this band Galliano. 
but it's also a liqueur. <coughs> and I have it right here, a large, beautiful, tapered bottle with this yellow liquid inside. Livorno 1896 Galliano L'Autentico, the original botanical with over 30 herbs and spices. And apparently this bottle is a bottle, a lot of people that came over for our various parties and who probably got COVID, uh, they uh, they said they recognized this bottle as something like their grandparents, you know, like their Italian grandparents always had a bottle of Galliano. Um, I, I don't really know much about it. Um, Let's, let's crack it open and let's try some in honor because the cover, the co- co- color of the cover is Galliano, according to one website. It has a screw top here. Let's see. What is it? Um, 42% alcohol. It's a rather tall bottle. Ooh, smells quite good too. It's going to drink it straight. I know you can make drinks. I think there's a drink recipe on the back, but. Let's see what we can get here. Oh, very yellow liquid. Let's see. You have a toast to the book. Oh, look, you can make a uh, Galliano sour. Two ounces Galliano, one ounce le- fresh lemon juice, quarter ounce part uh, simple syrup, dash of Angostura bitters and an egg white, optional. Garnish with a lemon zest. Product of Holland. I guess this was originally from Italy. Oh, distilled in Italy, but it's a product of Holland? How does that work? How do you distill it in Italy, then it's a product of Holland? Imported by Lucal Bowls, Lucas Bowles USA, Manhasset, New York. That's out on Long Island, right? Manhasset. Interesting. Anyway, that'd be interesting being a liqueur importer. <laughs> Kind of interesting. Um, yeah, let's go in the other room here, sit down, have some Galliano. It looks very dark in here for the firelight of the gas fireplace. Definitely a key decision we made getting that gas fireplace insert. Definitely uh, use it all the time. Alright, let me try to do this without spilling it. <laughs> Alright. Here's my spot where I can watch fish. When it comes on. Yeah, so excited about the book. Um, can't wait for all of you to <coughs> see it in person. It's like $12 and something cents. It's cheaper than the other one, I think. Yeah, because it's less pages. Uh, the reason it's less pages is because I didn't put every single image in there of show art. I put four show art images along the bottom of every page. And I think it just flows better, feels better. I mean, it's just better in every way than the previous edition. Uh, you know, I feel like each time I do something new that's so much better than the previous one. Is sort of The previous one was a, a huge stepping stone. You know, and, and as I've been saying so often... This book is not just a regular book. It's a, uh, it's the vessel in which this project, which is an audio project, will be carried into the future because audio is tricky, right? It's <coughs> in this case, it's all digital audio. It's all ones and zeros, and it's kind of hard to, you know, how do you store audio 
a physical object. You know, a record album is probably molded with the sound waves cut into grooves. You know, that are injection molded, not injection, uh, but you know what I'm saying. So the book uh, represents in the physical world. It's a focal point. It is the project. The project is inside the book, right? It's broadcasting from inside the book. Uh, I know from, you know, for example, um, you know, my, my parents' house, all of the books they had, some of those books were in, in the house that my grandparents bought. My father's mother and father, Betty Nora and Frank Nora, bought a house in New Brunswick, New Jersey in 1950. Uh, they always said it was $20,000, you know. Obviously, that's a lot more than $20,000 today. Um, maybe we should... I should see how much that was. That's probably like 240000 let, let me check the inflation calculator. Well, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't too off. It's $260,000. Yeah, in today's, do- in today's money. Yeah. That darn inflation. Anyway, um, yeah, I think it was Dr. Lipman was the guy's name that owned the house before, and he he was a book collector. He left a ton of books in the attic. He didn't even remove them, and they kept them there, books from as far back as I think the 1500s, 1600s. And some of those books were in my parents' house just recently when I went through it. Also, what Dr. Lipman left in the house was a, a basement. The entire basement was one giant Lionel train set, and... I did encounter, and some of a few remnants of those were also uh, at my parents' house, but they were in bad shape and not worth much money, so I just left them there. I know they, at least in the past, they were, you you would see, you know, even stores saying we buy Lionel trains, but I don't think the one, those particular ones were particularly valuable. Um, just to go to show that books that are f- hundreds and hundreds of years old were still there right and as far as any other object like most objects that are that old don't stay around unless they're you know and then it's confusing like what year were they made and you know what do you do with it but books are meant to sit on shelves for long periods of time and just persist through time which is why i chose the book as the form to uh be the vessel for this audio project So that's why it's so important, you know, especially the look of it. And I, I'm again, I know I keep talking about this, but the, the look of the book, the color scheme and the typography and the addition of those two radio towers, I, the last second edition, like <coughs> the the two radio towers on the left and right on the bottom on the cover that you see there. And then the little secret 209, which you can't see on the printed cover because of the because of the. Uh, the, the the dots you know it, it's it's too small but if on the digital version you can see a little 209 there towards the lower right of the purple section but anyway anyway have a toast raise your glass of yellow liquid to the book on so radio broadcasting from inside this book this my first uh try it smells pretty good galliano Hmm. Interesting. It's kind of mellow.
little bit mellow, a little bit sweet. Yeah. Not exactly what I was expecting. I was expecting something a little bit more intense, but it's all right, though. Kind of smooth. Smooth and relaxed as a little yellow drink. Not really my speed as far as these drinks go, but it's a good color, yes. And uh, some more drinks in recent memory. We went over to this place called Callan's Public. Uh, it's a little bar, restaurant place here in Nutley. Actually across from my dentist. And uh, they used to have some vegan items on the menu, but they seem to have removed all of them from the menu. I don't know why. I don't think they were very good at vegan. I think they were cooking it in shared fryers and all this other stuff. I don't know. But it's one of the few places that had vegan stuff, and then that, now they got rid of it. Um, but anyway, they have this thing called Miracle on Center Street. And it's this um, service, a product. I know I talked about it on the show before. Uh, it's a company that provides you with decorations, drink glasses, um, garnishes, uh, all this uh, stuff uh, to turn your bar into a miracle on whatever street. And I, I know I found the name of it and stuff in the past, but it's a very popular thing. Holiday themed, Christmas themed, basically, uh, to transform your bar. So they have Miracle on Center Street. We've gone there once or twice before with that. So we went there uh, briefly the other night and um, looking at their menu, <coughs> including drinks like Yippie Kaye, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, here, I have the whole menu here. Do I have it? The name of the drinks for the miracle thing. Uh, Chrismapolitan, Snowball Old Fashioned, Carol Barrel, Koala Cooler. Yeah, I got that one at one point. There's a little toy koala bear on there. You know, a little clip. It's like a clip. I had to, We had some of those as kids. What do you call those? It's like a little plush animal, like a few inches tall, but it's like a clip. You can clip to things. Marshmallows and Unicorns, Christmas Cricket, uh, Elfing Around, UPK motherfucker. They put some asterisks in the middle of the word fucker. I guess they're they're not allowed to spell out the whole thing. Jingle Balls Nog, Rudolph's Replacement, The Krampus, Hot Buttered Rum, and uh, Secret Santa. Also a nice shot and a naughty shot. The nice shot is rye whiskey and gingerbread something. The naughty shot is tequila, habanero, ginger, and hibiscus. But anyway, the Krampus is the one Brad and I got, and it's a Reposado Tequila, Oloroso Sherry, Allspice Dram. We were talking about Allspice. It is it is actually its own spice. It's not like you just mix all the spices together. I don't know why it's an Allspice Dram. Is that like a kind of drink? I thought Dram is a liquid measure. Mezcal, ginger, hibiscus, lime, and hellfire bitters. And it was actually pretty, pretty good, and it came in a... Um, in this, like, demonic mug with this, you know, Krampus is like a demon creature that, was it, killed the children? Instead of giving them presents, he kills all the children or something? I don't know, but the... I've heard of the Krampus mythology. I don't know. Anyway, it was a pretty good drink, though. It was pretty good. Um, it was all right. And uh, the other one, Brad, is he, he's very good at uh, making uh, 
cocktails, which I've tried and I'm horrible at it. I'm not good at making cocktails, but he made one called Love and Murder, and uh, it was so good. I'm trying to find the recipe. He he was telling me about it. Uh, see, some people are good at this thing, and some I, I just can't do it. Love and Murder cocktail recipe. Let's see. Oh, okay, yes, yes. It's, it's, it's Here's the article. Campari and green chartreuse are two of the most polarizing liqueurs in the cocktail world. That's how this article starts. Brad has green chartreuse from before it became impossible to find. Green chartreuse and yellow chartreuse, another yellow drink, uh, became the supply dwindled when the monks that make it decided to pursue the glorification of God over the glorification of the almighty dollar or whatever, the euro or whatever. They're still making it, but in far lower quantities. But you can get the the vegetal elixir is the one I remember. I've gotten that. But that's not the same thing exactly. I still have some vegetal elixir. I love that stuff. Um, But anyway, yeah, so he has some. So he was able to make this, which would be very difficult to make if he didn't have some. There actually was some chartreuse at the... uh, Miracle on Center Street, too. Let me finish this uh, drink up. Galliano. It's okay. Maybe it's better in mixed drinks. Um, what are they saying here? Most people love them, but many don't. The former's bitterness and the latter's biting, boozy herbaceousness, or herbaceousness, perhaps, of course, Eddie Izzard was talking about how, remember that famous comedy bit? Different pronunciations, words between Britain and the U.S. You call it herb, we call it herb because there's a fucking H in it. Yes, thank you. Can overwhelm sensitive palates. Both, if used injudiciously, can render a cocktail spiky and unbalanced. The two aren't often found together in the same glass, especially not as the leading players. Their strong flavors mean both are usually relegated to supporting actor status. Excuse me. So this cocktail served at Porchlight in New York City and created by bar director Nick Bennett proves surprising on multiple fronts. Green chartreuse and Campari come together as the backbone of a shockingly balanced and delicious cocktail that, once you look past the surprise of the two together in the same shaker, is basically... Not much more than a typical sour format cocktail, one of the most common formulations in the drink world. It's not just that no one had previously thought to employ these two liqueurs. The green chartreuse is high 55% alcohol by volume, compensating for Campari's lower 24%. The resulting cocktail is about the same proof as, say, a daiquiri or a whiskey sour or any other sour, the standard strength spirit. What I wanted was a cocktail that felt classic, says Bennett. The combination of Campari and green chartreuse was something that I hadn't come across enough. Surprisingly, never as the main ingredients. This is on liquor.com, by the way. way. It does indeed seem to have the makings of a modern classic, despite its unconventional ingredients. I was overjoyed that it turned out as good as it did, because on paper, it doesn't seem like it should work, he says. The recipe seems as simple as it comes. Once you get past... Why does this seem like it's being repetitive? Is this AI? Is this written by AI? The recipe seems as simple as it comes once you get past the unconventional combination of flavors. 
But there's a final secret, the addition of saline solution. Yeah, Brad was mentioning this. Adding a touch of salt (coughs) to cocktails can enhance sweetness and balance bitterness. With just a few drops, the salinity doesn't reach perceptible levels, but it draws out the other flavors in the drink. And the drink's name? One might surmise it arose from the combination of opposites, a red liqueur and a green one, a Christmassy pair sitting across from each other on the color wheel, or perhaps that people often love one of the liqueurs involved but hate the other. That would be reading too much into it, however. The name comes from a great Broadway play that I had seen a few years earlier called The Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, says Bennett. I really enjoyed that title and thought the Broadway actors that frequent Porchlight would get a kick out of it. And it is uh, one ounce, here's how you make it. One ounce Campari, one ounce green chartreuse, one ounce lime juice freshly squeezed, three quarters ounce simple syrup, and four drops. Saline solution. Five to one water to kosher salt. Interesting. And I think he put a, one of uh, that sort of, there's, he has like a, uh, a creamer thing. It's like a vegan way of frothing the drink a little bit. So he added his own touch to it. It was so good. Though, of course, I can't make it because what the hell, where the hell am I going to get green chartreuse? I'm sure you can if you have connections, but I don't have those kind of connections in the drink world. Anyway, last episode, I I know I was giving my uh, review of the movie The Great Race from 1965, and I had a few more things to say about it. I realized I had forgotten to talk about our experience as kids. I know I started talking about it where, um, I'm not sure how far I got actually talking about it. Um, in the movie, Professor Fate has this car called the Hannibal 8. And uh, as kids, we were, we really we were begging my father, can you build it for us? Can you build it for us? So <laughs> it's, he really tried. And using a plywood, he created the frame. So basically, uh, it was pretty big. It was like a, a car-sized piece uh, that had uh, the shape. So it was two side panels. And then he created like the two rows of seats in there. And uh, we had that for years, but it never got much further than that. Kind of like our attempts to build tree houses, our our own Hannibal 8. Eventually it wound up in the woods and we would play with it in the woods and it eventually over the years deteriorated. I remember there were pieces of of it remnant in the woods up into the 90s and maybe even early 2000s before it completely rotted away and returned to nature. But we had a lot of fun pretending to be Professor Fate. I wonder how many other kids were big fans of that movie. I don't know. Also, they do describe it as a kind of a steampunk movie before there was steampunk, and it it does kind of fit that bill, I would say. Uh, Steampunk, I don't think, was a named genre back in 1965, but it it definitely has those kind of characteristics, the kind of vehicles they built, especially Professor Fate's uh, stuff had a steampunk steampunk edge to it. And I also didn't mention, you know, I, I was talking about how I feel like Blake Edwards has this Pynchon esque, um, you know, after Thomas Pynchon, the author, uh, storytelling where there's so many different characters and subplots and different phases going on, especially the part where um, the great Leslie and his assistant Hezekiah, Professor Fate and his assistant Max, and of course Maggie Dubois, um, 
all wind up on this iceberg together and sort of have to live together for a while in this survival situation and how they sort of had to try to get along and stuff. I, there's a little, so much going on in that movie. Um, yeah, what a great movie. It really deserves more recognition because, as I said, you know, I'm, I'm sort of in tune with this world of pop culture obsessions and re-releasing, you know, making T-shirts of and new action figures of and models of and figurines of various pop culture properties. And, you know... No products have ever come out from the great race of that sort, as far as I can tell, other than some fan-made T-shirts and, of course, the soundtracks. You know. uh, other than that, nothing. And it just seems like there's so little interest in this movie, but it deserves it's, this movie deserves to be re-examined and rediscovered by a new generation. That's all I'm saying. All right, it's 8 o'clock, and the fish show is going to start soon. Apparently they're playing a, a band called Say She She uh, as the uh, pre-show music. I've heard the name before. It sounds pretty good, though. It's almost like sort of a, a 90s vibe of music. You know? kind of like it. <clears throat> Some leftover uh, fettuccine for dinner. And uh, playing with the cats with the laser a little bit. And, uh, you know, going to watch the show. So apparently... <clears throat> they haven't played any uh, Game Henge songs the first two nights. And if they don't play any more tonight, <clears throat> the theory is that <clears throat> the gimmick will be a, a Game Henge show. Which, was I talking about it on this episode? Yeah, uh, Trey's uh, sort of thesis in college was uh, this uh, man who stepped into yesterday. A story about this guy from Long Island that goes to this other world of Game Henge. And uh, being that the last gimmick show was uh, the 40th anniversary, and kind of a recap of everything that had happened, uh, they could do something with Gamehenge, especially because a few years ago they did technically extend the Gamehenge universe with uh, Sci-Fi Soldier and uh, Holy Blankenstein and all that. This is getting deep in the fish iceberg, for those of you that don't know about fish. Uh, but yeah... So it could be interesting. Um, I think that would be awesome. All the more reason for me to go tomorrow. I think I'm going to go. Got to go. I was thinking about getting seats on the Sky Bridge, but I don't know. There's only a few left, it seems. I better act act fast. But I don't care. I mean, even if I have to go behind the stage, I, I'll be all right. I just want to be there. Ring in the new year with fish. Indeed. Uh-oh, here we go. The show's starting. What are they going to start with? The, well, they, you know, everyone's calling for Punch You in the Eye, but I think that is a, a Game Henge-related song because it mentions Wilson. They were, were they teasing Wilson a little bit last night? I thought they were. Again, if you're not into fish, you won't know what that means, but it's okay. Here they come, December 30th, 2023, New York, New York. What's it going to be? This is always exciting. What are they going to open with? Happy, happy, oh my. Backward, no, it's not, it's not it. Oh, it is. 
Back, backwards down the... I knew it. Backwards down the number line. This is one of those songs that people are get angry with because sometimes they're doing a great jam and then Trey will go into this song and, oh man, that set got number lined. Another one is... It got zeroed with character zero. So this is a good, a good way to start. Get it out of the way. It's not a bad song. It's about birthdays and stuff. Here are some comments that people are saying. Uh, number lined, speed run. This is the this is the fastest I said has ever been number lined. Someone's like, oof. Someone else is ouch. Someone else. A good placement, agreed. Get it out of the way. That's what I said. And then this guy, uh, TMOP Halloween, always posts Magic the Gathering cards. I'm into magic and fish, and uh, he he's like, live look at the band immediately upon coming out tonight. A fish card. Their number is Legion, actually, from the uh, Warhammer set. Their number is Legion, number lined. Number lined early. You know what? I'm excited about it. <laughs> wow. And here's a here's a meme about the song with uh, Joey Dona, Joey Walnut. Is that his name? What's the guy's name from The Sopranos? The bathroom can wait. It's a great song with a beautiful backstory. You stay right there and listen and show Trey and Tom some fucking respect. <laughs> I know there's a whole backstory to the song. They have to write songs that start with "Happy, Happy, Oh My Friend." Or this is definitely one of those bathroom songs. Yeah. Yo, backwards so good. Wow, first number line opener after after 132 previous plays. Wow. It's the first time they opened with number line. Wow. See, this is why Fish is so great. All the stats. <coughs> we all got number line, that's for sure. Here's someone hoping for a 73-minute number line. Yeah. Wow. I don't know, somehow this bodes well for this head, I think. I think it does. All my friends Backwards down the number line uh, Correct, correction. They, they opened with number line back uh, one other time, back in, on uh, June 19th, 2009. So, now the second song is Wolfman's Brother. It's the Wolfman's Brother, yeah. Brother, the Wolfman's Brother. Let me see, the Magic the Gathering guy. Trey taking some good vocal lessons. Howling Wolf, yes. Magic the Gathering card. Two generic mana and two green. All right. Turtle in the clouds and uh, the dance is back. Last time they did it, they didn't do the dance. They have to do the dance. And thank goodness they brought it back. Crowd is going wild for the turtle in the clouds dance. 
<laughs> Great song. Clueless Walab. Clueless Walab. This set is insane. It's amazing. So much better than last night's first set. Undermined and now Kill Devil Falls. Anyway, I think it's time for a drink. I have the Lafroig Isla Single Malt Scotch Whiskey. The Quarter Cask. The perfect marriage of peat and oak. I shared this with some folks on... Uh, on uh, the day after Christmas, my wife's birthday. This is maybe the best Lafroig I've ever tried. Maybe even better than the one I had uh, a while back. This is uh, great, amazing stuff. The most richly flavored of all Scotch whiskeys. I do agree with that. Oh my god, so smoky, medicinal. Oh my god, this has got to be the best Scotch ever. I love it. Deep orange color. This is great. Fish and whiskey. Had my fettuccine. Vegan fettuccine, of course. Alfredo style. Kill Devil Falls Jam. Now. They're doing Life Saving Gun. It's a great song. It's a newer song, and I, I saw it over the summer when I was there. Life Saving Gun. This is some first set, I'm telling you. Amazing. I think Mike is, yep, Mike's using the drill on his bass, the drill technique. Nice. Kind of gun-like, the drill, you know, life-saving gun. This is quite a set, I'm telling you. I think they may be ending the set on life-saving gun here. That was amazing. Wow. Only the third time they played it. I saw the debut in July. Wow. That is some first set. Unbelievable. Ugh. But you never know, there could be another song, but it seems like a set ender. Yeah. That's it. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, as I've been mentioning, you can listen to these on fish.in or relisten.net. And, uh, yow. So that first set was uh, Backwards on the Lumberline, Wolfman's Brother, Turtle in the Clouds, Undermined, Kill Devil Falls, Fuego, Train Song, It's Ice, what a great song, and Life Saving Gun, that is uh, Yow. <coughs> Amazing. Now we're in the set break. 
Yeah, you know, similar to the Grateful Dead, Fish never has an opening act. They just uh, they do f- two full sets of music. Plus an encore most times. Well, the only time they didn't do an encore is when they were in the uh, the cube and there was no audience. So you're not supposed to do an encore if there's no audience, you know. But yeah, this is uh, quite agreeable music. All right, set break. So yeah, I've been trying to get better at reaching Mahjong. Um, I said sort of a breakthrough today. I really haven't uh, done enough tutorials, I guess. Reaching Mahjong is a is, is a variant of Mahjong that um, is the Japanese version, and I I just love it. I've been playing it for a few years now. But I realized that I've been playing at a really a very novice level. Now, when it comes to mahjong, I know that uh, most people have kind of the wrong impression of it. Uh, most people think that it's that solitaire game where you, where you see the mahjong tiles in a layout and you have to match match them and clear the layout, which was the very first version of that. I think it was called Shanghai from Electronic Arts. That may not have been the first first version. That's the first version I knew. Great game. I've played that tons. That really has nothing to do with this real Mahjong or actual Mahjong. The solitaire version is a completely different game. Also, there's different variants of Mahjong. The American Mahjong was, you know, sort of very famously played perhaps earlier in the, in the last century, uh, mid-century, um, uh, especially by Jewish women, interestingly. The American Mahjong, very different than the Chinese or Japanese Mahjong in terms of the, actually the shapes of the tiles and a number of the rules. I mean, all the game, all of the versions of Mahjong, besides the solitaire, they're all basically sort of like Jin Rummy. You're trying to uh, create a hand that has sets and runs. Um, But the versions are very different. The Chinese Mahjong, I think it originated in China. The Japanese, I think, believe are more similar than to the American version, but the Japanese version is the one I focus on. And, you know, because it has the Ricci aspect and the Yaku and... uh, I just remember always uh, seeing these games in MAME, you know, the MAME emulator. Um, there's so many arcade games that are Mahjong-based, a lot of them uh, sort of uh, with uh, erotic imagery. If, if, you, if, you get, if, if you win the game, you see a car- na- naked cartoon lady. That's very common in Japanese arcade games. Um, anyway... I think that when I got... There's a game on uh, the Switch, Nintendo Switch Game Club 51 or something. I forget exactly what it was called, but they had it on there. So I started playing it, and I really started to learn about it, what it was all about. And um, from there, I moved on to, uh, you know one of this really an amazing platform called Mahjong Soul online 
uh, where you can play Mahjong with other people, but it's such an incredible system. Um, you do have to be sort of an an, uh, an anime girl in the game. You could eventually get different characters and stuff, but... Um, But you can definitely use it, and I. But I found that as I'm playing, I'm I'm I can't get past novice level. I can't rise up. Um, I mean, the ba it's it's one of these games where the basics are kind of simple, but it's a super complex game. That's sort of what appeals to me. It feels like, uh, you know, you can just keep getting better and better and better at it. I know there's this one video online on YouTube that's sort of six hours long, and it's just this guy talking about the basics of the game. Um, so I kind of learned how to play, right? Basically, you get a hand hand of however many tiles, 13 tiles. Is it 13? And every turn, you, there's four people play, you take turns, you draw a tile, a random tile, you know, and then you discard a tile, and you, your discards are face up in front of you. These, t these t tiles physically are more thick. They're almost like uh, cubes or monoliths. They're not like dominoes. I think the American Mahjong ones are more thin. These are very thick. Anyway, <coughs> what you... Uh, <coughs> so what you're doing is you're essentially drawing a tile and discarding a tile. <coughs> and what you're trying to do is build a hand, right, with a yaku. A yaku is a, is a shape or structure of the hand. Um, generally speaking, you're trying to get runs, like, there's three different suits, I don't even know they're named, the, uh, characters, the sticks, and, and the dots, but there's other names for them, and then in the Japanese version, there's also the, the four winds, north, south, east, and west, and the three dragons, the white, green, and red dragon. There's additional, there's flowers and seasons in the Chinese Mahjong, and you, you would see that in the uh, the Solitaire game. Which, again, I, I play the Solitaire game. I have I have a good version of it on my phone. What's it called? I'm trying to see. Uh, yeah, it's, it's called Random, Random Mahjong or something? Yeah, it's a good version of, of that Solitaire game. That game is super addictive, and it's great. The solitaire version is great. Totally different game. Um, so you want to build a hand, but you can't just build any hand. It has to have a yaku. So one of the easiest things to think about is you can build an all-simple hand. That is, no terminals, no dragons, and no winds. So if your hand consists of... Uh, no ones or nines, and no north, south, east, or west, or the dragons, then you're good. That's an all, That's a yaku, right? Um, other real easy yaku are sort of like, if you get the three of one of the dragons, you know, three or more of one of the dragons, that's good. And the winds, uh, the round you're playing is usually either, it starts off east, and it could possibly, if you, you can play a south round, and then you have a, 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 a direction as well, at any given point. So if you get uh, three of the uh, the winds, either of the round or of your position, that that also is good for Yaku. And then beyond that, there's many, many different structures of Yaku that I have not memor memorized yet. 
Um, so a lot of times, let's say, I, you know, a lot of times if I have two red dragons in my hand, I'll be like, listen, some point I'm going to hopefully get the third red dragon because when someone discards a tile, you can steal it. Um, you can chi to, to complete a, uh, a run or pawn to complete a, uh, a set or you can con to uh, have four of a kind, right? And I've never played this game in, in a physical form and it, it seems like it would be incredibly challenging to play physically because the computer keeps track of stuff for you, especially the reason it's called Richi Mahjong is another Yaku is Richi, right? When you're when you've reached Tenpai, which is uh it means you're one tile away from uh creating a hand that you can go out with, you're in Tenpai and um I don't know if Tenpai means... I think you can be in Tenpai even if you don't have Yaku. I'm not sure. Um, but if you are in Tenpai, you can... And you have an open hand. That is, if once if you uh, Chi or Pwn or Khan from someone else, then your hand is open. If you have a closed hand, you can go Richi, right? When you're in Tenpai, you can go Richi. And it doesn't matter. The Richi is the Yaku. I know it sounds, and I know this is just about as confusing as all the fish stuff. But if you're into it, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, so when you go Ricci, you're essentially um, wait. You, you're waiting for one or more tiles to show up. Either you draw it or someone else does. <clears throat> and uh, so I understood this level, and I can play, but I'm not getting. I'm not rising in the ranks. So I really started looking into it, and apparently, it's I, I the one thing I didn't know about was that you have to learn to play defensively. Essentially, there's a point where you will fold, similar to in in poker, you can fold your hand. Now, it's not an actual uh, specific move. It's actually you decide that you are going to stop working towards building your hand and you're going to play defensively, right? The idea is if, for example, if you discard, if your discard is picked up by someone and then they go out with uh, Ron or Sumo or whatever, you lose all those points. So you want to, once you decide to fold, you give up on your hand. And I did not know this. I did not know this till today. Especially if someone goes, goes Ricci and you are not in Tenpai, um, you can just fold. And then you start choosing safer uh, tiles to discard. <coughs> For example, uh, the terminals, the ones and nines, the winds and the dragons, and then as close to the edges as you can get, the twos, the eights, then it would be the threes and the sevens. Um Right, so you play defensively, so you you are trying to exhaust like the what do they call it a wall game when no one goes out, and then uh, you would especially don't want to be the one that discards the tile that's then picked up for the win, and then you lose all those points. I did not know this, so I, I I'll admit I'm a complete 
Mahjong novice that I didn't know this. And also in terms of, um, you know, I know now that everyone else is thinking that same thing about the discards and the safe discards and stuff. So anyway, I've, I've taken my next step in the world of Mahjong. Um, really an incredible game. And I feel like it could be years and years of work on it. But uh, Mahjong Soul is free and it's, you know, but you can, I have not put any money in it yet, but you pretty much just need money for, uh, well, apparently once you reach adept level, which I have not reached yet, you do have to ante up when you go into a ranked match. I haven't reached that point yet, but anyway, what a fascinating game, what an amazing game, and I know it's it's fairly unfamiliar to those here in the West, um, but, you know, if you've ever played Gin Rummy, and I used to actually play I forget exactly what version it was. We played with my grandmother, my mother's mother, Evelyn Sappenfield. Um, we used to play uh, Rummy, um, which was which is very similar. You know, you have a hand and you you're trying to go out. Um, it's just like uh, Richie Mahjong is like Rummy on steroids. It's like the next level. I'm telling you. And, and you know, it's funny because I was exploring Mahjong Sol more. They had this really confusing system of all these different currencies and stuff. And um, I found I had some unused tickets of some sort, so I used them. And I actually got a new character, this uh, blue-haired anime girl in a wheelchair. So I used her as my main character. Um, and then I started digging around some more, and it's like, uh, you have to clear these quests, like, you can spectate, um, high-end players, so I, I was watching a game from people at, like, god-level tier, or whatever, and one of the players I was watching had, you know, they had three uh, white dragons in their hand, then they discarded one of the white dragons, I'm like, why would they do that? That's very important, and I realized they were playing a defensive game. So especially when one of your opponents declares Ricci, then you have to decide if you're going to keep trying or you're going to just give up. And that's how you get better. So it was interesting. I, I saw that and I was puzzled by it before I found out this is a very essential piece of advice for getting into, ma into the Ricci Mahjong. I'm glad I discovered it. All right, we're ready for set two to begin. What's it going to be? Yeah, the whole game hinge thing. So much speculation. No game hinge show songs yet. What could it be? Maybe you enjoy myself to start? I don't know. That's not a game hinge song. Let's see what we got here. Oh, 
What is this? I know this song, but I don't. I, I don't. I don't know it. on the thread here the well okay the, it's a, yeah there's it's a newer song called the well hey it's after midnight I fell asleep I missed some of the second set having really bizarre dreams it's a covid or the cold medicine or something but yeah what it was just it was uh there's this house, and, and Howard Stern was living there. And he brought all these, like, mi- like weird miniature people in to perform these, like, lewd performances. And the people that lo- normally live there were, like, outraged by it. Yeah, then there was another thing where I was... What the hell was it? It was, like... I was at this bank, but then, like, I lost all my stuff... And then, like, there was this revolution, and these people, like, I, like I lost my phone and my, my shirt, my jacket, everything. They're like, you have to join the revolution. I'm like, listen, I'm revolutionary. I'm more revolutionary than you when you really step back and think about it. They're trying to make me join it. And my phone, I, when I had my phone, it was, like, dying. I was trying to call my wife, and she could barely hear me. Then there was another part where there was a. I came out of the house, but I didn't have all my stuff, and they're like, "Listen, you gotta get under the bus right now to go to work." And I didn't have my phone or anything. It was like, wow. But yeah, like the, like the Howard Stern one was so weird. Like he was taking advantage. These people were really helping him. But yeah, like these miniature people. Kind of like like the whack pack or whatever. So weird. Yeah, it's just been like a series of weird dreams and waking up and going back back to sleep here on now New Year's Eve. Really weird stuff. Whew. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I mean, yeah. Kind of freaky. I, not exactly like anything I've ever experienced. That these dreams exactly. Wow. But yeah, you know, I've been taking Alka Seltzer Plus, but I haven't had one in a while though. The last one I took was like seven something o'clock. So that's, I don't think it's that. I guess it's the COVID. I have had COVID dreams in the past, but only when I had a fever. What the hell's going on? Anyway, the show. Uh, yeah, it started with uh, yeah. second set, as you heard, started with uh, why can't I get it on my screen? The well. Then they went into Tweezer and uh, I think that's when I started falling asleep. Twist, then Piper. 
I saw some of those, but then uh, Golden Age, I completely slept through. I saw a bit of 2001 going into Sigma Oasis and then into David Bowie. I was in and out, so I think I saw some of it, but yeah, I don't think the second set was quite, to me, I, at least well, I didn't really see the whole thing. I was kind of asleep, but not as good as the first set. And then uh, Encore, uh, Slave to the Traffic Light, totally missed that. I was asleep. And then More, another one of those uh, something somewhat divisive songs. At the end, Trey says, Happy last day of 2023. So, yeah, at least that first set was amazing. Yeah. So, I guess they'll do their reprise tomorrow. That's just like, I feel so out of it. It's so weird. I'm trying to think of any more of the dreams I could think of. I, I know there was more stuff, but I just I can't remember it. But the whole thing with the revolution. And, uh... Yeah, there was something... Yeah. There was... I think it was a dream within a dream. At the bank, I fell asleep at the bank, and then there was this dream about um, something about this closet, and then there's there was at the back of the closet there was this weird little doorway, and again these weird little people were had discovered the doorway, and I wanted to stop them from going in, but I became kind of like in a dream, kind of paralyzed. I couldn't move. I was kind of horrified as they're going in the door. That may have been inspired by uh, my cat going in the into the wall in the basement. Which uh, that's that 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 cardboard cover I put on it keeps uh, keeps popping off because I guess because the temperature changes. Even though I put so much tape on it, maybe I should go check it. Where is where is Mister Vegas? He was just here. Oh, there he is. Okay. <sighs> anyway, all right. Uh, I'm waking up a little bit. Okay. Anyway, yeah, so uh, the plan for tomorrow is possibly going to the show. I think I should go to the show. But I'm still feeling kind of crappy, really. I'll take some NyQuil tonight. That'll knock me out good, even though I was just asleep. I like NyQuil, but I will only take it if I'm legitimately sick, which I am. I'm legitimately sick at this point. Uh, anyway, with that, I'd like to say thank you so much for patching into this episode of The Overnightscape. It was a few days worth of stuff, but yeah, weird few days, COVID days. I'm your host, Frank Edward Nora, here in Nutley, New Jersey, and it is the last day of the year right now, December 31st. 2023 20 year it's been ups and downs uh, we're here at onsug.com onsug.com and uh, oh, let me see if they have I don't know would they approve the book on a Saturday I don't know how I don't know how that operation works that uh, publishing division of uh, would I get an email or something uh, I don't see anything anyways there is the book uh that the new book should be up and available. It's the one with the orange cover. Uh, soon, soon, soon. And please grab a, a bunch of copies and 
put them on as uh, many bookshelves as you can so we can uh, make sure there's many vectors of approach to those listeners in the future to hear our stuff, including this episode right now. Yeah, we have over 11,000 shows in the archive and over 14,000 hours, which is over a year and seven months of solid audio. It's a non-commercial project of a unique style, and it's all preserved in the archive, on Internet Archive, and I also have the local files, which fit on one terabyte, which uh, I have all organized now and uh, just got to figure out what to do with. I made a couple copies on some... uh, legitimate Buffalo brand um, terabyte flash drives. I know they have those phony ones that aren't really a terabyte or crash all the time, but yeah. Those aren't coming down in price as as much as previous generations of bytes did. But uh, I'm going to try to make sure that uh, at some point in the future those files are included inside the book. Like The chip will be attached to the book in some way. Or the book will have some electronics built in with a speaker and stuff. All of which would be possible today with uh, enough money. But this, as it is a non-commercial project and I'm working for a living. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if uh, I'll be able to achieve that in the short term. But in the long term, that is the goal. Also, the book is a virtual object with the files built in in some way. And, of course, don't forget about Overnightscape Central, an easy way to get your voice in the archive here. Last month, which was November, PQ River ended his amazing 13-year run on Overnightscape Central, where a new he created a new topic each week for everyone to talk about. One of those years, uh, Jimbo took over the show from 2016 to 2017 until Jimbo sadly passed away. Um... So Central is a legendary show here on Onsug Radio. And it's coming back thanks to Dave in Kentucky. The deadline for the next monthly show, the show's going monthly, is uh, January 10th, 2024. Wow, sounds very futuristic. Uh, can you imagine a, it's like, like a TV show from like the early 80s? January 10th, 2024 is the date. Yes. It's coming soon. So record your audio, send it to Dave, K-Y, no space or anything, D-A-V-E-K-Y, Dave in Kentucky, at mail.com, M-A-I-L.com. So that's D-A-V-E-K-Y, at sign, M-A-I-L dot C-O-M. You can record uh, on the topic. I'll give you the topic in a moment. Whatever recording setup you have is fine. Just use your phone. Don't worry about it, please. It will sound fine. There's many recording programs. Just download an MP3 recorder if you don't have it. Uh, I I use Super MP3 Recorder on on Android. It's great. I do record the show on there from time to time. Record on the topic any length you like. It can be short. It can be a couple minutes long. Or you can go longer like I usually do. It's up to you. And Dave will then put it on the show and, and comment on it. Next topic in January is going to be fast food, the occult, and other bad ideas. Since it's a monthly now, it's monthly now, there's going to be a a few topics, like three topics maybe. So you can uh, choose, if you want to talk about just fast food, you can do that, just the occult. 
of the supernatural stuff or uh, any kind of bad ideas, just bad ideas in general, you know, what, 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 what's a real bad idea, you know? Yes. I'm sure you have thoughts on one or two or all three of those. Please submit your entries. We'd love to hear from you. Well, let me turn the fireplace off. I'm going to bed soon. As you can tell, my voice is uh, kind of shot from this Kelvin. It's uh, annoying. But it's not as severe as it was last time I had COVID, as far as I can tell. But it just seemed to be lingering more than a regular cold. There's Mr. Mojo the cat lounging over there. Hey, Mojo. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, without that white noise, it's a quite a different sonic environment. Ooh. <laughs> the sound of uh, the metal uh, making tapping noises because of the temperature changes. And my wife watching TV upstairs in the distance. I don't know if you can hear all that. Weird stuff. And uh, for more weird stuff, we're going to now uh, shift on over into a Madison Square Garden of the Cosmic Mind known as The Other Side. Good morning, highway. It's such a good day. We're going somewhere.
the most sophisticated television system in the world with 1,500 channels to choose from. You can always find a program to match your mood, your IQ, your income bracket, and your clothes. We have the aerobics channel. Let's face it, exercise can be very boring. But if you do your daily dozen with someone you love, the time seems to just fly by. The Millionaire's Home Shopping Network. Denmark, one of the finest countries in the world. Textiles, dairy products, kind of shaped like a turtle. And this week only yours for just 200 billion. And my personal favorite, the All Kitchen Utensil Network, which I believe is currently showing Gone with the Wind. Thank you, my dear. I don't give a spoon. Yes, Intertube is the ultimate television system of the future, here today to be a part of your past. It gives you, the Intertube viewer, the freedom of choice to see anything that we let you see. That's why we say that Intertube is more than a way of life, it's television. And remain necessary for you to be memorized in every way. Oh, I didn't memorize it, Jake. I just made sure I knew it by heart. Ah! Oh, Crasher! Oh, cut it out, Crasher. Come on, go on, get back in there. Is Crasher upset about something? Well, you know, Crasher, he wants to be the star of every show, and uh, he can't, so he gets a little frustrated. Yeah. I try to calm him down, but he does have a tendency to crush people in little pieces. Hey! Huh? A glitch! Oh, no. You ain't supposed to be doing that. Uh, Henry, go check the transponders. Okay. Uh, okay, I checked them. Yeah, what was the reading? Oh, it looks bad. Glitch could destabilize the signal. Henry, don't jump to conclusions. Okay. Now, what is the normal reading for the reality mode break-in? The normal reading? Yeah. Twelve? Twelve, yeah, roughly. And what was the reading you just saw? About, uh, 18,000? A little high. Henry, you don't realize what this means, do you? We're going to have to go in. No, we're going to have to go in. Which could destabilize the signal. Jake, Henry, we're trying to rehearse. Something wrong, guys? Uh, No problem. A possible little misalignment in the transponder matrix. Transponder problems? I hate when that happens. Anyone seen Glitch? Come on, guys, let's rehearse. What's this? Suddenly you're in charge? Maya, when there's a leadership gap, someone must fill it. Badu, you got a brain gap and no one filled that. <laughs> Don't follow leaders. Watch your parking meters. You got it, Digit. Now, can we help Jake? Uh, no, 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 just a glitch in the system. Uh, come on, Henry. Big deal. Live it or live with it. Yeah, I mean, look at us. We do just fine and we're surrounded by technology. Smash cuts, chroma keys, slow-mo, rotoscoping. Eight-bar hooks, low-funk retro wrap. Digital modulation wash. Paradiddles, flamadiddles. Flamadiddles? Explosions! <laughs> Explosions have nothing to do with technology. Technology? I'll show you technology. Ah, look. A beautiful lake.
last way I like to pace You seem to think your whole life is a race While I still believe there's no happiness in race Lamotion, I know my goals Yeah, like it habits have really grown old Our life seems like an endless journey through Mush You choose the fast way I like to pace Just believe that times we're not to waste My good advice is First things first We live in slow motion I know my goals One keeps running and stumbling The history of a nation is preserved and remembered in many ways. A rare Union Pacific diamond stack, built in 1887. Big Boy, the world's largest locomotive. Situated near a small Vermont town, a railway museum called Steamtown, USA one of the world's largest collections of steam locomotives. People travel to railway museums all over the country to reminisce about the great engines that once worked so hard and are now at rest. 
when they are brought to life, that is an event to be celebrated. And it is, by railroaders, train buffs, photographers, and tourists. On this autumn day, they came to Steamtown, a thousand of them, to ride in 14 passenger cars behind two giant steam locomotives a hundred miles through the New England countryside. Many American children today have never ridden a train drawn by a steam engine. But people still love the old trains. They wave at them, ride them, photograph them, collect models, join clubs and preservation societies. try to teach their children what steam locomotives meant to another generation, traveling in an era before the age of the automobile and the airplane. The steam locomotive has something that uh, you can't find anywhere else. It's not just a piece of machinery. It's alive. It's human. It's the closest thing to life in a mechanical device. Forgotten are the inconveniences. Remembered only are childhood memories of the romance and adventure and that sound of a long, lonely whistle echoing through the valleys, comforting, exciting, hinting of places to go, things to do, of a world to see. Remembered also is the job these iron horses did in the making of this country, opening up wilderness, carrying mail and goods and news and people, putting towns on the map, binding the country together with steel. Oh, poor old Reuben Ranzo. Ranzo, me boys, Ranzo. Oh, poor old Reuben Ranzo. Ranzo, me boys, Ranzo. Oh, Ranzo was no sailor. Ranzo, me boys, Ranzo. He was a New York tailor. Ranzo, me boys, Ranzo. He was a New York tailor. Ranzo, me boys, Ranzo. Shanghai aboard a whaler. Ranzo, me boys, Ranzo. They put him holy stone in. Ranzo, me boys, Ranzo. And cared not for his groaning. 
Ranzo me boys, Ranzo, they gave him lashes thirty. Ranzo me boys, Ranzo, because he was so dirty. Ranzo me boys, Ranzo, they gave him lashes twenty. Ranzo me boys, Ranzo, that's twenty more than plenty. Ranzo me boys, Ranzo, oh, Ranzo nearly fainted. Ranzo me boys, Ranzo, when his back with oil was painted. Ranzo me boys, Ranzo, the captain gave him thirty. Ranzo me boys, Ranzo, his daughter begged for mercy. Ranzo me boys, Ranzo, she took him to her cabin. Ranzo me boys, Ranzo, and tried to ease his moaning. Ranzo me boys, Ranzo, she gave him rum and water. Ranzo me boys, Ranzo, and a bit more than she ought to. Ranzo me boys, Ranzo, she gave him education. Ranzo me boys, Ranzo, and taught him navigation. Ranzo me boys, Ranzo, she made him the best sailor. Ranzo me boys, Ranzo, on board that New York whaler. Ranzo me boys, Ranzo, he married the captain's daughter. Ranzo me boys, Ranzo, and still sails on salt water. Ranzo me boys, Ranzo, he's known wherever them whalefish blow. Ranzo me boys, Ranzo, as the toughest whaler on the go. Ranzo me boys, Ranzo. Eastfield College is accepting applications for majors in automotive technology, auto body, and welding technology. All three programs offer two-year associate degrees and one-year certificates. Those interested in applying should come by the college, 3737 Motley Drive at Interstate 30, or call the Science Division office at 746-3148. If you have a question on energy, give us a call. Tonight on Time Express, a garbage man's pickup causes havoc. Daddy, there are two million dollars here. And I'm giving back every penny of it. A doctor's wife faces a crisis. Mark, am I going to die? Two people with an urgent need to return to the past. Once we get underway, there is no turning back. Sister, you just have to believe me. I can't explain the time change or how I got here. I don't even understand it myself. Get in, garbage man.
first thing in the morning, call Lord Salisbury in London. Ask him what's happened to our new super tanker. On second thought, call him right now. It's four o'clock in the morning in London. That's their problem. Maybe if the British got up early, they'd stolen half the world. Yes, Mr. Chernoff. Have a good trip. of some significance to you, sir? Yeah, that's the date, all right. Gate Y, track 13. Thirteen's not in service. That's just to keep out the curious, sir. Oh. time, Nick. We should be in the Indy 500. Indy 500, hey, compared to the freeways, that's for old ladies from Pasadena. Thanks for the left. Anytime, Doc. Your ticket, sir? St. Louis, August 7th, 1967. Look, this is a matter of life and death. I haven't any time for games. If this is some kind of publicity stunt, would you please tell me now? Oh, no, sir. It's no publicity stunt. I assure you. Gate Y, track 13. Jefferson Walker, but R.J. sits me just fine. Are we the only passengers? Yes, sir. If you follow me, please. Jim. Jim? 
But you only picked two cards. It isn't the number of cards you picked, darling, but how they fit your hand. Pardon me, madam, but our guests have arrived. Oh, thank you, Aunt Jane. Well, welcome aboard. My name is Jason Winters, and this is my lovely and talented wife, Margaret. It will be our pleasure to accompany you on your journey. However, before we leave, there is one thing you must know. Once we get underway, there is no turning back. So if you have any questions, please speak up now. Yeah. Who do I make the check out to? The check? Yeah, for the ticket. When it came in the mail, they forgot to enclose the belt. Who did send the ticket? Well, let's just say your guests are the head of the line. But why us? Well, he never tells us who he chooses, and we wouldn't presume to ask. But he always seems to invite people who have the greatest need to relive a critical moment in their past. In the course of your journey, events may change, people may change, you may change. But whatever happens, when the trip is over, you must return to the Time Express. Now, is that perfectly clear? Yes. Good. Have a pleasant journey. RJ, if you will. Yes, sir. This way, please. Interesting pair. Detective agency is on the job, and this case is all but solved. Get the car, boys. John Larroquette, an old-fashioned investigator. We're detectives. We'll detect. Bronson Pinchot, a new-age psychic. Your, um, blood pressure is way up. And your sperm count is way down. The Second Sight Detective Agency has everything it needs to fight crime. Bobby is a power psychic. A what? He reads minds. He's 
clairvoyant. The thief is in this room. Telepathic. She's not pregnant. And psychokinetic. Your back hurts, so his back hurts. Yeah, we'll tell the amazing Randy he's got the wrong side. He'd make the perfect detective if only he could see where he was going. Straight ahead, babe. I can't go straight ahead, babe. There's a building right there. John Larroquette. Well, as you can see, we're very weird. Bronson Pinchot. I want to be nice. Second Sight. I see a comedy in your future.
Ghost presents for your entertainment and approval, His Rascals. In their latest hour gang comedy entitled School Out. Direction by Robert McGowan, photography by Art Lloyd, edited by Richard Courier, recording by Elmer Regis, and dialogue by H.M. Walker. We thank you. My handsome brother, the big traveling man. <laughs> Quit your kidding, sis. My sister, the school teacher. Miss Crabtree. <laughs> well, Justin, the woman driver. <laughs> hey, sis, I have to go over here and see a couple of customers. And I'll come up to the school afterwards and see you.